Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, or the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of the show. Today, I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me as we continue to count you down to Auburn football. Just two more days until Auburn and UMass inside of Jern-Hare Stadium. Now just a little less than 48 hours away. But we also have football to talk about for tonight as there are games on tap this evening, including a couple of SEC teams. So we'll preview some of the action from tonight. We'll also include that in our Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Coming up at 5 o'clock, though, today, we'll also have Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked on Auburn and Village Vice. He'll be joining us to preview this UMass game in the first chunk of Auburn's season, so don't want to miss that. That's about 5 o'clock. We'll continue to have more thoughts on Auburn here as we get set for the season to open up. Also, some other thoughts. Today we're going to have a little bit of discussion on the Heisman race this afternoon as uh, we've been saving two big topics to preview these last two days. We previewed all the teams in the SEC. We previewed all of the the Power 5 conferences. If you missed any of that, you can go back and check it out in the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. But today... We're going to preview the Heisman, and tomorrow we're going to preview the playoffs So, uh, and give our picks for those two things. So uh, exciting to be at this point where we have football to talk about, football to preview uh, tonight, and uh, just a, a full weekend of football, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. You have at least one college football game. So starting today, enjoy the college football for sure. Again, Ryan, Brooks, and TP went you here on this Thursday edition of Sports Call. Brooks, we'll start with you. Good job last night again hosting the high school coaches show. Good turnout for that, and uh, glad to have you back in studio here, sir. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back here with you guys, and uh, great to be talking sports, and especially great to be talking sports on the day that we get uh, week one of college football. It's it's exciting. We had week zero. We had a little appetizer last week, and, and now we get the main course of college football starts tonight. Five straight days of football. Uh, it's it's the it's the best days. It's five days of football until you get to like November, where you've got football every single day in some form or fashion, with the NFL being Sunday and Monday, and then you get that midweek action and fun belt uh, stuff going into the weekend of college football again and so it's great uh, i can't wait some of these matchups tonight are, are lackluster because it's it's some big teams playing some smaller teams but then you've got some premier matchups tonight uh and, and a you know a, a very big one out in in salt lake city so can't wait for that and yeah last night had a good turnout at the high school coaches show uh, a 
uh, continue to build momentum as the season rolls along. I think t- this week is technically like week one. I think they still called last week week zero for high school football. I don't know. I, I don't pretend to, to know some of these things. Uh, but everybody, mostly everybody, got to play last week. There's a few teams that are starting up this week, had their buys last week. There's a couple local teams that are have their buys this week after playing last week. And so uh, it, some high school football action tomorrow night. Can't wait to, to get to that. And it's uh, it's going to be a fun day. The Braves are still in action. We can't forget about the Braves still in a in a chase of that number one seed right now. And their biggest competition, guess what? You play them four games starting tonight out in L.A. And so uh, it, it's it's some big it's a big time in the sports world. Uh, it's a big time in our sports world, really, because we get college football back. The Braves are still playing, and uh, can't wait to talk about all of it. Can't wait to get to a Heisman discussion. There's there's a lot of folks that that are putting their name in the Absolutely. in the running, uh, and so that that'll be a great conversation. And uh, of course. We can't do the show without the callers, so can't wait to get to all of them just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Braves part of it, too. I know we probably won't get to too much of it, although it does need to be at least mentioned. Uh, it's also a convenient time because usually uh, 9 o'clock games are like, oh, I don't want to wait that long and going to go to bed for work the next day. But pretty convenient that the bulk of college football on the 6 and 7 o'clock hour start times tonight, so that will be concluding around the 9 o'clock hour. And uh, then you can get to some Braves to kind of give you the cool down. If you're a runner, you know, you got to warm up, <laughs> then you have your big event, and then you have a cool down. Yeah. It's kind of what that is tonight, where you, you warm up to. So you say we're the warm up? Uh, yeah, we're the warm up. All right. And then you have the events. You have Florida, Utah, NC State, UConn, Minnesota uh, in action in a conference game against Nebraska. Um, I, no, I'll be watching UAB tonight, et cetera. And then you've got. A cool down where it's hey it's still baseball season we've been talking about the Braves all season long and the Braves have the series that might determine who ultimately gets that one seed in the NL so absolutely uh, kind of slots out well tonight TP Hammock also on the show this afternoon he was running the board all day yesterday with both the high school coaches show and with our our show right here on Tiger 95.9 good to have you on the other side of the mic how are you doing this afternoon TP I am giddy with the joy because it is the opening day of college football. This is like this is one of my favorite days of the year is the Thursday before week one because I remember last year we had the backyard brawl, Pitt versus West Virginia. That was a phenomenal game. And hopefully this Utah versus Florida game will provide uh, just as many, if not more, fireworks for say. Uh, but overall, I'm just really happy to – get to sit down uh, my brother's coming into town we're going to go eat and get to watch some good college football and you know even throughout the night if you're like me who just loves college football or just sports in general and if you want to uh if you have the pac-12 network arizona state uh, kicks off at nine o'clock our time so uh, for one of its final opening uh, or the pac-12 network's final opening day i guess so but yeah overall though i'm just really excited for today's show i've I love getting to talk about college football. I'll probably turn on some baseball as well afterwards, though. But, yeah, it, it's a great day, and I can't wait to hear from our callers. That Arizona State, uh, I believe, Southern Utah. Correct. Did you see the ticket price, the get-in price for that? I, I can imagine it's a little low, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, let me tell, tell you this. You can go to a local fast food restaurant, and it's going to be hard to get it lower than the cost <laughs> of Arizona State, Southern Utah. $3 really? is the get-in price. You want to go? I uh, don't think we can make it in time at this point. Time would be of the essence. I have to get on a plane right now. But, uh, yeah, only $3 to get in price for that one. So uh, Pac-12 Network uh, is fostering that or showing that game and, and playing home to 
to that last game of the evening tonight. Again, we will preview those a little bit later in the show. We will start, though, with more Auburn topics, as this is Sports Call Auburn after all. As we are now less than 48 hours till Auburn-UMass, it's now time to directly talk about this game. Uh, we will, uh, of course, I'll ask TP at the end of the show for a final record prediction, and we'll do that with myself, Brooks, and Cam tomorrow. So we'll still have a couple big picture notes. But yesterday, previewing the schedule was like the last big picture preview as we now get into the nuts and bolts of each and every week of the season. And so this UMass team turned some heads on la- or last weekend when they defeated New Mexico State. But again, it was not... It's enough to get some people murmuring, but again, the line is 35 points. Auburn favored by 35. I believe it was 37.5 or 38 entering that game. So, okay, that result dropped at a field goal. Good for UMass. They appear they won't go 1-11 like they did last year. But there's still a lot of room from a 1-11 group of a really independent team, 1-11 team, to even a 6-6 independent team to an actual SEC team. And so, guys, I ask you – what a question when asked Zach, a question we asked Ferg. To you, what point in this game on Saturday do you want Auburn to be able to get to the second string? I'm not in the business of in these type of games to predict scores. They're trivial. If Auburn wins by 30 or 40 points, it does not have really any difference. So more so the semantics of the game, the optics of the game, how it looks. What point in the game do you want to see that second string in by? If this was an Auburn football schedule that had UMass followed immediately by Samford, I would say uh, second half. You, you don't play your starters at all in the second half. Because this is an Auburn football schedule that features UMass followed by Cal, which, you know, again, we've been talking about it. You, you can look at all the, the stats from last year. Cal's not the cream of the crop in the Pac-12, but it's still a Power 5 opponent. You're still going on the road. I would... Uh, because it's the first game you're going into a, a you know your your big non-conference game for the year is next week i would say mid, uh, i would say mid to early third quarter get your starters out of there because not because it's you should be struggling at that point because i want to see you go a little bit further because it's the first sure. game get you guys stretched out just a little bit going into that big game next week um but like i said if this was umass followed immediately by sam for next week halftime I, i'd want to see them out by halftime get your second string in work uh in in the second half your third string work in in the second half but because you've got that big uh you, you the quote-unquote big test with cal next week for your big non-conference game uh middle of the third quarter early third quarter get a get a driver two in the third quarter for the starters since it's school time i'm going to use a analogy that people might like people might dislike this is just homework. You're turning in homework mm. when you play UMass. When you play Cal, that's more of a quiz. Yep. You get in the SEC play, you got tests, then you got your final exam like Alabama. Okay? And, and maybe you want to say Georgia, too, even though it's in the middle of the season, midterm exam, whatever. They're the MCAT. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a quiz, this or this, this is homework this week. You got a quiz next week in Cal. TP, what do you think about when to get to the second string? I, I can agree with Brooks on that. I would also – I think more or less, though, my feelings towards it is that you have so many new players and they're still 
still learning that playbook and what to do, the audibles and all that. So I'd be okay with them staying in a little bit longer. Uh, my thought process was around maybe the between the 12 and the 8-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That That's about around where I would say, all right, it's time to pull the dogs off. But uh, So you want to go three full quarters at yeah, least. Yeah, I think you could really uh, iron out. I mean, it could be ironing out some, you know, some mistakes or something like that because you can afford to have, you know, a botched handoff or something like that against or like you know you mess up a play against UMass so you can look back at that in the film room and be like okay well that's you know that that's not what we want to do against you know Texas A&M or something like that but it's good that we went ahead and got this out of the way you have more room for leeway and mistakes and being able to get that on and then then you can put in those guys but yeah I feel like three quarters would be pretty good but if it's like if it's like really bad then you know you definitely don't want to like run it up so if it's like I mean, if it's just, like, out of the water, then, yeah, I guess at the start of the fourth quarter. But ideally, I'd like for them to play three straight quarters so they can start to gel together on the football field. And I think the argument for that, too, because I'm not sure it should just be – I think I agree with both of you guys that I want them to play at least a drive in the third quarter. And I think the argument to that is what we've heard from Hugh Freeze in fall practice, which was a little bit of a concern over conditioning. That has been a topic – uh, for Auburn in the fall, that the heat has gotten to them at times, that Hugh Freeze has been a little disappointed in effort towards the end of scrimmages. Like, those are real things. And so, usually in a game like this, you're looking at score, and once you get to about the, the 30, the 35-point lead mark, that's when you you start to start to get ready for second string, and uh, or if it gets up to 40 in the first half. But I think that score is only about 75% of it for this game. I think in, in week three against Sanford, score would be 100% of it. I think that if you got up 42 nothing late second quarter, you could go ahead and, and put in a second string, uh, some second stringers. But I think that even if it's 35, 42 nothing at half, I still think, or, or, or 42 to three or whatever, I still think that you play the first string at least a drive so that you can simulate what it's like to cool down for 20 minutes, stop it, and then try to restart it. And then you try to put together one more scoring drive before you then say – and you play one more defensive series and get one more stop before you say, all right, you're, you can be – you're done for the day now. Because, look, I understand that you want to get other guys in, and I think they'll be doing that. Like I think that's why Hugh Freeze had this spiel about I don't really do depth charts and that sort of thing. Well, of course, there's certain positions we do depth charts, and even he does depth charts. But what he's saying is I'm already planning on playing – six, seven, eight wide receivers. You're in the course of play. Like that's gonna happen every week. I, I'm gonna play five, six, seven people that end up rushing the pass. I'm not just playing three or four people in that role. I'm gonna play a bunch of people at those defensive ends and those jack positions, etc. Um so I think that that's already inherently worked into it. We we don't look at it as okay. Say it's drier, shorter. We know it's going to be Shane Hooks, and let's just let's just call it Javarius Johnson as the starting slot. Although Jay Fair could be that guy. Let's just start there, okay? And if it's those three, it doesn't work like hey, it's those three for like twenty five consecutive plays, and then all of a sudden here comes Camden Brown, and here comes Jay Fair, and here comes Amari Kelly, etc. It doesn't it doesn't function that way. It's like okay, here's the first couple plays of the game, boom, here comes Nick Mardner randomly, and then boom, here comes Camden Brown for this package, and oh, then they have two guys that function more like slots, and oh, here's Rivaldo Fairweather in the slot. That That's going to be more how it works. So, in terms of second string, really the only positions we monitor in terms of 
okay, here's the calling off the dogs of swords, or here's the true second string. It's, okay, when is Peyton Thorne no longer taking snaps at quarterback? When is the offensive line completely different? You know, when do you not have your starting secondary at all anymore? When do you not have DJ James and Keontae Scott and Nehemiah Pritchett playing at all? That's when you have truly transitioned into second string because otherwise, those other positions, you will have segments and you will have plays where it looks like it's mostly quote-unquote second-string guys or not your your absolute top-of-the-line guys because they are mixing in play, uh, players that are new, and they are trying to take advantage of getting guys that maybe they named a starter, maybe they gave number one on the depth chart two, but they also, with the caveat of, yeah, you're barely ahead of this person. And you do have some ors still listen uh, listed. And by the way, those ors matter to us in second and third string because, again, I just told you, you're not playing just three to four wide receivers. You're playing six or seven. So if you're a second string guy on the depth chart and you're, you know, some somebody or, well, then that's the difference in playing and not playing right there. That That's the hard line because if you fall to that quote-unquote third unit, that's when you're seven, eight, nine in the receiving packing order, and that's when your playing time is in jeopardy of potentially not happening at all. So all the way back to the point of the question, I think that they will be playing main guys, guys they expect to play against Cal in the third quarter regardless of score. Now, you want it to be still, oh, they're playing them anyway even though they're up 35. You don't want to be, oh, they're only up 28-10, and they kind of just can't go to all second unit guys yet. You don't want it to be that scenario. Uh, but I do want to see them play a drive at least in the third quarter for this for all those reasons, conditioning, that sort of thing. And and against Cal, even though Cal is a bottom, you know, level power five program, that's still not a game I expect Auburn to be able to be so dominant and they're starting to pull second string guys in that. They will they might win by three touchdowns, but I don't think that, that means they were up five touchdowns, put in second string, and then two touchdowns were bring were brought back i would think it would be maybe a 17 to 20 point game where okay you're not you don't take starters out of a of a 34 to 17 game in the fourth quarter you usually keep them in so i think you would play everybody probably the whole game against cal at least close to it but against umass you want to get that little bit of conditioning in with the second half, then get them out, get them ready for Cal. We're going to take our first break of the show today. When we come back, we'll go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time. Also, a little bit later, birthdays and sports. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. We now go to the Auburn Make phone line for the first time today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good at War Eagle. It is college football weekend as uh, on tap as well for today. I've been waiting for this for a long time as well. Yeah, I think we all have. We're all very excited. Yes, that's well, because I am ready for week one, and I'm actually going to be seeing the first couple of games tonight. I'm going to see how Florida is actually going to be doing against Utah. So I had Utah beating Florida, so that's going to be a, the first game that I'm actually going to be watching tonight as well. And then I'm going to be um, looking at uh, Stanford um, and, and seeing how Stanford is actually going to be doing. So I'm going to be uh, looking at the score the box scores on that one as well. So that will that one will be a loss for Stanford as well because I know we do play them in the third game after uh, the University of California as well. So I think Stanford will lose uh, this game tonight as well. Yeah, Stanford uh, looks like they've got uh, Shorter tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know nothing about Shorter. I would think Sanford would, would actually win that game. Shorter's in, a, I think, a lower tier. I think Division Two. Uh, or... I think they might be. I could be wrong. Uh, I can Google real quick, but they may be like NAIA. Like, yeah, I, 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 they're pretty small. Not right? exactly sure about that one. No, they're, div- they're Division Two. But, so. uh, but uh, they do have Auburn, as you said, in Week 3. Yes, that's well, because I know when we play – uh, that game against Sanford, that's going to be, you know, that that's really going to test the, uh, you know, that's going to separate the men from the boys when we actually play Sanford. So I think this one will be probably like when uh, Peyton Thornton, we're not going to play him in week three. So we might play Robbie Ashford in week three as well. So I think this will be Robert, Robert Ashford's uh, time to shine as well. So, uh, that will be, you know, close to week three as well. Yeah, I think they would. They'd still try to play starters against Sanford. They just would not play them as long as a typical game. Obviously, I think they would still play Peyton Thorne, but you would see Robbie Ashford at some point uh, in that game. And again, he was dealing with an oblique injury this past week, so we think he's available on Saturday. But uh, to be fair, he's not giving much information on the status of that oblique injury. Yes, that's all, because we do play uh, UMass, so I'm going to be looking at some highlights from last uh, year um, when we actually played against UMass University, and I'm going to probably see if I can um, pull up some uh, old high school, like some old college film from Auburn years past when they played against UMass, probably like 1956, 57 year as well. So I just want to see, like, you know, roll the clock back and and see some of the some of the legendary Auburn Tiger uh players of of uh of yesteryear as well. Yeah, this is Auburn's first meeting uh with with UMass, so they've uh I'm sure there's other classic games that you could definitely enjoy, but uh Auburn checking off a couple couple boxes this year, never played UMass, never played Cal before, so a couple new teams for the Tigers to 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 have a test against. Yes, as well, because I'm going to be uh, looking at some other games as well. I'm going to be uh, looking at Alabama State. They play a big game this weekend. They play at home in uh, Hornet Stadium. So they're playing a huge uh, classic uh, matchup between Southern 
Jacksonville State. So um, that's going to be a a huge, huge uh, turnout and a and a great win for uh, Alabama State as well because th- that game is sold out. So they just sold out their tickets last night, and uh, they do have a concert in Montgomery. I'm hoping that the weather would cooperate for that concert tonight as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely want the uh, the weather to end up being okay. That's would put a dampener on the mood. I, I think that uh, it's supposed to be a chance of rain late tonight. I know there's also a, a chance of rain on Friday. I think Saturday looking much better though. But obviously, everyone wanting to stay away from that. So yeah, Alabama State and Southern. Uh, on, uh, I think, 5 o'clock Saturday night. So I think it'll be okay for that, but uh, we'll see here over the next 24 hours with potential rain. Yes, as well, because I'm actually going to be looking at uh, a lot of college football games uh, tomorrow uh, over the weekend. I'm going to be looking at uh, Vanderbilt, seeing um, how Vanderbilt is actually going to do. I'm going to be looking at Alabama. Uh, seeing, I know Alabama is playing uh, Middle Tennessee State, so I'm going to be uh, rooting for Middle Tennessee State and uh, seeing uh, Georgia, the national championship, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, seeing how they're going to do. Um, I'm actually going to be looking at a classic um, matchup on uh, over the weekend with uh, Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech. So they're playing their game in Atlanta, so that's going to be a really good game, so that's um, going to be something. Um, I'm going to be looking at uh, UAB, seeing how the Blazers actually, how their season is going to look, and uh, seeing if the UAB Blazers might make it to, you know, a championship uh, game this year. Um, I don't know if they could make it, but I'm not quite sure if if they're actually going to look like a championship team this year. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I definitely cheer for UAB being in a new conference. I don't think that they're going to be uh, conference championship level good this year, but they were able to make it a couple times there towards the end in Conference USA and were able to win. So, uh, I, you know, I think they're a solid program. I'm interested to see new head coach Trent Dilfer uh, in action, and I, I think the expectation is want to get UAB to another bowl game. I think that's a, a good place to start in a new conference, but we'll see how it all shakes out. Yes, as well, because I'm actually going to be looking at some, uh, you know, some other conference games as well, seeing the Southern, the Southern, uh, conference and the MAC conference. So I'm going to be watching those games as well and, uh, seeing who would actually play in this year's, uh, Camellia Bowl coming up in December. So that's the, that's way, way out. And, um, and I think some teams are going to be making like another trip out to Montgomery. So I'm not quite sure. On who's going to actually play in uh, in the Camellia Bowl this year as well? So it's a lot of different things I'm actually looking at on on my radar as well. I'm looking at Appalachian State, Rice University, uh, Troy might be might be a, a, a huge factor in that as well. Yeah, James, I was just looking at some bowl projections, and you mentioned two of the teams that are projected right now: uh, App State and Rice. Would you like that to watch that matchup in Montgomery? Um, actually, yes, I would like to watch uh, Appalachian State and uh, Rice University because I actually did see them actually play uh, years ago. They actually did. Uh, I think Appalachian State uh, came to Montgomery years ago. I think it was like 2015, uh, if I'm mistaken, 2015. You are correct. And I, yeah, and I think they actually beat. Uh, I think uh, Appalachian State. I think they beat Georgia Southern. So that was a that was a really good opportunity for uh to see 
Appalachian State beat Georgia Southern. And I was actually at that game in 2015, and I was uh, rooting right alongside with the Appalachian State uh, Mountaineers, and I actually made them win. And the final score was like 53 to 23 as well. And and they were like, "How do you know? How how did you predict that?" And and you know, Appalachian State fans, they they said, you know, in my you know what what my plans are, and I said let's go and party. And and I mean they they Appalachian State Mountaineer fans they they know how to party. They know how to keep it going. That is true. They are they are a fun crowd. I was at their uh, game whenever they faced Ohio was, uh, and they it was a really close game. And uh, me and my grandfather sat at that. We always go to the Camellia Bowl as well, James. So uh, I, I will be there in December as well. But, yeah, the Camellia Bowl always produces some really close contests. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing which teams will be uh, uh, invited to go play in the Camellia Bowl because it's usually a really fun event. And, it, uh, like I said, close games. So uh, no matter who's there, though, me and my grandfather will be there. So hopefully App State is there because their fan base, like you said, they are – quite the crowd and they are a very fun group of people and uh really like them a lot yes as well because flash state um i've actually had a lot of flash state fans in 2015 they actually wanted me to uh switch over from being an auburn fan to flash state and i said i can't do that because that would make a lot of auburn fans upset with me so i'm staying at auburn as well so i'm a true diehard auburn fan uh as long as i can well, maybe you can make Appalachian State your second favorite team. Yes, as well because I do have uh, you know some some uh, friends that actually go to Appalachian State that I actually see from time to time when they actually come to Montgomery as well, and they're and they're a really nice uh, fan base as well and very respectful as well. Well, James, we'll have to let you go here in just a second. But what else is on your mind, real quickly? Well, um, I I am a huge Auburn, uh, a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, but this is. Uh, something that's true to my heart as a Cowboys fan. Uh, one of my um, favorite uh, Cowboy um, players has passed away at the age of 91. I've actually seen this guy get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And uh, seeing this guy's, uh, listening to this guy's speech, um, it, it really moved me to tears as well. And I'm I'm right there, um, you know, sending a lot of um you know, a lot of condolences and wishes to his family as well. And he will truly be missed by a lot of Cowboy fans as well, just like myself. Yeah, Gil, uh, Gil Brandt. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, as well. So I'll call you all back tomorrow with uh, some great uh, fun trivia as well. Absolutely. It'll be a fun Friday. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We need to take another timeout. Back with more sports call right after this. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. 
Welcome back to Sports Call on this Thursday afternoon here on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Let's go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me on the show again, Ryan and uh, Brooks and uh, Mr. Uh, TP. Is that right? Yes, sir. And I am on the show on Thursdays. Good to know. And uh, I may say that, uh, TP, you're doing an excellent job of answering the phones, so appreciate uh, your hard work. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, I have some good teachers around me. So, All right, well, let's get to it, guys. heard your comments about what you would like to see uh, from this game, from our team, respectively, anyway. And first, I want to ask you guys, do we cover the point spread or not? Yeah, again, I, I think the only thing that makes uh, point spreads difficult in these type of games are the fact that all these teams are usually capable of it, but then the second string comes in and the score doesn't keep changing much or even the other team puts some points up. And so I, I think it's, again, I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, I think it's pretty close to where it is. Was it 35? So that would be something like 45 to 10. Uh, I think that's along the, the lines of how I would pick it. Again, to me, it's still, whatever the final score is, it still means more to me how the game actually looked optically and, and when they can get to their second string and, and just the decisions on personnel there. Okay. Um, Brooks, TP? Yeah. Yeah. On the uh, In terms of the, the point spread, guys? Um, 35. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's fair. I, I think this this Auburn uh, this Auburn team is capable of, of getting that. But you know, you, you see it all the time. You see, you see, and especially with a team like at, like Alabama, you see a teams that are favored by thirty five or forty points somewhere around there, and it is uh, you know they they a lot of times don't cover it. And so I would not be shocked if Auburn doesn't cover. Uh, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they if if they did because I know you know you you look at this UMass team uh, last week it's an improved team they've got some some better pieces than they had last year uh, Hugh Freeze talked about it, that that one and eleven uh, record last year is very deceptive of what type of football program they were uh, and so would not be shocked if they kept it inside that thirty five I don't think it's going to be very close uh, but also I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked if if Auburn's able to get a few big plays and and nudge that over that that uh, that thirty five. Uh, money line. Yeah, I can agree with that as well. It's around the spot that it that I thought it would be. I know it was hovering around forty before last uh, last Saturday's contest against New Mexico State, where they won pretty convincingly. So, uh, yeah, I think it's about where I'd have it, and it wouldn't surprise me if Auburn covered. But um, UMass looked better than I thought they would last week. But overall, though, they're still a big. There's a big difference in New Mexico State and Auburn, so we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah, and you know, I'm kind of really glad that UMass uh, played as well as they did and won the game outright, because uh, otherwise I might have, you know, been concerned that our team they've been complacent and taking them, I overlooked them. Now, uh, I'm, I heard your comments about when do you expect to see the second, third string players. You know, I'm hoping we see the second, third string players by no later maybe after the first or second drive in the third quarter. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what I, I, yeah. what I tell you, uh, Ryan, what I, guys, what I don't want to see is this. I hope to God I don't see a half-to-99-yard drive uh, with less than two minutes left in the game for us to win. 
Yeah, no, we can all agree with that. If you if you see that, that's a very inauspicious start to the season. Okay, uh, let's move on, guys. To uh, Mr. DeAndre Carter, he's going to be announcing his uh, commitment, at least uh, so-called commitments, uh, on Sunday at two o'clock our time. Your guys' uh, sense, your take? Yeah, I still think that he has a, a very high probability of committing to Auburn. Uh, I've not followed not a as... Not Cam prediction. <laughs> sure. Again, there's always going to be a random one like that, but the best we can tell, and I, there's not been as m- much recruiting buzz the last week because, well, we've made it to game week, uh, but I've not seen anything to indicate that there is a, a big uh, change in the thought. I think Auburn's the clear favorite. USC is a distant, distant second. I think he's considering Texas and Michigan State, too. Uh, but I, I I would be surprised if it was not Auburn. Obviously, I can't, without knowing the kid and, and knowing everything there is to know, promise you that. But I, I, I do think that there's a very high chance. And is he a um, high four-star or a low five-star? Uh, he's a four-star. He's he's pretty high four-star on a couple of the websites. He's as high as the number 42 player on ESPN. Uh, and then on three has a completely different evaluation, and they actually rate him only as a three-star player. But he's four-star. Three-star. On, on, yeah, on their evaluation. But three of the four uh, sites have him as a four-star, and so industry-wise, he ranks out as the number one fifty-one player in the country. How do they come with a three-star on this guy? Uh, again, different, different, uh, different services, different grades. Yeah, I mean, different again, grading metrics. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a discrepancy between three-star to. Maybe a, a four star or maybe even a five star though. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it is a very, it is a very wide discrepancy. I, I, I again, I don't know, I don't know why they've got a uh, significantly lower grade. That does happen. That happened with someone else. Auburn was targeting uh, a couple weeks ago, but it, it, it is rare, but it happens. And I'll give you this. Okay. I'll, I'll give you I'll this, give Steve. You this, uh, Brooks, I'll give you this first. Yeah. All right. I'm looking to Christian Clemente on Auburn two forty seven Sports, and here's what they say. Uh, he is the nation's number fifty-five player. You can't be a three-star and be a number fifty-five player, right? But I'm As number I, one interior offensive lineman, right? And that's how that service grades him. But again, on three, uh, only had him as a three-star. Uh, he was as high as number forty-two on ESPN, as you said, fifty-five on two four seven and one thirteen on Rivals. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting you, Brooks. You gonna say what? No, go ahead. Uh, that's just fine. Uh, I wanted to. I was looking on 247's website. If this gives you any indication, uh, both of the director of football recruiting for 247 and their national recruiting analyst both have him as uh, as they're predicted to Auburn. Okay, well that's promising, but we'll just see. All right, uh, moving on, guys. Um, this caught me by surprise. I said, "Boy, people must really, really be bored in Nebraska." You know what I'm referring to? The 90-some thousand that watched the volleyball match last night? Yes. I saw this on my uh, comes up my sports uh, uh, stuff on my uh, website, and it says Nebraska Volleyball Stadium event draws 92,003. I don't know how to get three. to set women's world attendance record for volleyball. You're playing Omaha. Right. I, I said, good God. I mean, uh, what would explain, guys, that that many people who want to go see a volleyball game. I believe they had a concert involved too, uh, since it is an outdoor venue. Cause they played in obviously in Nebraska's football stadium. I think there was a concert centered around that as well. Uh, so I, I do not think that all ninety two thousand showed up for 
just the volleyball. But again, obviously, really cool uh, that that many people uh, showed up. And but I, again, there was there was something like a concert, some other events surrounding that too. That was not that was not the only thing happening that evening. Okay, well, that's good to know. I said, boy, you must be you must be a lot of bored people in, in the state of Nebraska, then. I mean, yeah, that was that amounted to a couple percent of the population. I mean, it was pretty like three to four percent of the population of Nebraska was technically there. Okay, all right, and then I just um, I don't follow basketball that, that often, and then I saw that there are uh, sixteen teams that are vying that made it to the World Basketball uh, apparently championship um, game. Guys, you know about that? Uh, the the what are you talking about the FIBA World Championships? Uh, I guess is that it? Yeah, with Team USA. Yeah, just played. Yeah, there's 16 teams that have uh, made it to, into the next round. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they went three zero. They went three zero very decisively. They've been playing well. So how well recognized is it, and how how much I guess credible credibility is it given or not? It's the number two international tournament for for basketball behind the Olympics. The Olympics is always the number one where you see the majority of the NBA guy plays or NBA guys play, I think that it's somewhat legitimate, but it's not entirely because if you look at Team USA roster, while it is all NBA players, they are not the cream of the crop. You don't see LeBron, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, etc. on there. You see guys that may be the best player on their team or second best player on their team, guys like Anthony Edwards, Mikel Bridges. Uh, you have Walker Kessler on that team. Uh, from Auburn. Yeah, okay. uh, so, again, it, it is good players, but it's just not the absolute elite that uh, America has to offer. Okay. So he's the only Auburn basketball player yes. on the team? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on, guys. Uh, you know, we were talking yesterday about how did people get on the field uh, from the uh, the people who got arrested. Well, then I see this. I said, what, what is this about? Well, apparently uh, there is a... Uh, Robotic security guard. Okay, like RoboCop. He's talking about. I saw it yeah. at the. It's in Atlanta, right? It's for the yeah, Mercedes Benz. Meet Benzie, our newest security associate, Mercedes Benz Stadium. Don't and like that. Here, so, well, what, what what does this thing do? Does it zap people? Does it you know uh, shoot a, <laughs> uh, a death ray at them? You yeah. would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean, know. Come on, how, I mean, this thing looks kind of slow. I mean, how difficult would it be to evade and avoid this thing? Again, I. I don't know. I don't like the possibilities of that, though. That could, that could. I know that they probably put a lot of protocols in place, but still, it's. I don't know if I, I like a robot handling that. Yeah, I guess I thought this was uh, hilarious. Okay, uh, speaking of the Braves, guys, uh, then I saw this. I said, "Wow, um, the Braves have hit 250 home runs this season. Yep, their most in a season in franchise history. Yep, and it's only August." Yep, and then they go on to say this is from ESPN that right now they are the second fastest team to 250 home runs in a season, and they're trailing who? The Twins. 2019. In 2019. Yep. After they um, after 129 games, how many games have the Braves played so far? Uh, let me double check. It's about 130 or so. Uh, I'll double check here. They are 87-45, so that's 132 games, I believe that is. So they should have 30 left. Okay, so do they have a legitimate, uh, plausible uh, chance to just break 
on a home run season? They do. Yeah, they got to hit about two per game, which they hit three last night. So right, uh, they they can. It's a legitimate chance. Again, it's hard to, in the in the last few weeks of the year though to stay on that kind of pace, especially if they because they don't have the division locked up. We'll see how this series go in terms of the 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 pennant. But I, I think that I think they're going to come up just a couple homers shy, but it will come down to the last week. Well, about that, guys, because I've seen teams do this. Uh, if they have it locked up uh, to, to make it to the playoffs, will they will they let them start pulling off uh, their their best players and just let the you know the I guess uh, the scrubs come in? I don't think so because there is a buy in the in the MLB playoffs. Uh, the there's a, a two out of three series before you get to the round that the Braves and and Dodgers would be in for the first time. So you've already got uh, four to six seven days off between the end of the regular season and the start of that that second series. So I think that they'll they'll keep them play because if you start sitting them then then after a point you, you don't want to lose your sharpness. And, and so I, I, I think they'll probably they might sit them a day or two towards the last week of the year, but I think for the most part they're gonna play them. Okay. And in the really weird uh, world of uh, sports, how about the uh, minor league baseball team Located in Coney Island, I don't know if you saw this, uh, they call the Brooklyn Cyclones. Well, every year, and sure enough, over the weekend, they had the Elaine Dance Contest. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, uh, from yeah. Seinfeld, right? Right, right. They, they have contestants who buy for the Elaine uh, Dance Contest uh, championship winner. And I saw the people, they, they had this winner. Uh, but it was hilarious seeing these women you know, trying to mimic you know, Julie uh, Louise Rice's uh, uh, god awful, uh, you know, uh, attempted dancing. That's hilarious. But anyway, you can see it on uh, uh, the. It's called mymodernmet.com. You can see uh, the contestants and how they uh, they did on that. And finally, guys, I really want your uh, your take on because I don't know this guy this well, obviously at all. Really, Roman Harper. Yep. Apparently, uh, he made some comments. I don't know if it was on a radio show or a podcast about Mr. Thorne. Have you read or heard his comments about him? No, but Roman is on the SEC Network, uh, played for the Saints and Panthers in the NFL. He went to Alabama. Right. So I don't know how biased or objective is he, uh, but apparently, according to a blogger who summarized his comments, he describes Thorne as having a great arm. He's got bad habits, so like throwing off his back foot. He says he does it a lot. He's also a one-sided quarterback. He doesn't scan the whole field, he says. He looks his right, he's throwing his right. So he says, if I'm a safety, he looks his right, I'm running right. Uh, he will not look all the way to the other side of the field. Also, he says, if he looks right, then all of a sudden it's not there. Things begin to happen. He doesn't create well at all. If he looks left, it's there. He throws the ball accurately and on time. Another bad habit, he says, that Thorne has. When he feels pressure, he's always trying to fade away from it. Instead of standing in the pocket and leaving the ball uh, and taking uh, hits, uh, under pressure. So he says he believes that Robbie actually definitely has a place in his office. Guys, uh, your your thoughts, comments on uh, his description? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that uh, a lot of that's unfair there. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty deep, deep breakdown. Again, I've watched some of the Michigan State stuff, and look, he wasn't a perfect passer. He was a solid passer. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't look for a couple of those particular things that he mentioned. Uh, so it would have to go back, and but honestly, at this point, we'll just go forward and, and watch out for it on Saturday. But uh, you know, Peyton enters as 
an upgrade on what Auburn had uh, at that passing, especially from a passing standpoint. That does not mean that he is necessarily elite, though. So uh, there will be things that he will need to work on, but I still am very optimistic about what he's going to bring to the table, and I think he will be productive. Well, surely if Roman Harper thinks he sees these uh, bad habits, then i got to be uh, confident that so has Freeze and so sure. has our other coaches, right? Yeah, no, I'm sure that they've been they've been working on some of that stuff. We are up against this hour break here, Steve. Okay, so guys, I thank you for your time as always. My time is way up. So uh, you guys, uh, let's see, who will be on tomorrow? Uh, me, Brooks, and Cam. Okay, all right. Well, then we'll uh, do this again tomorrow. And until then, have a safe afternoon and evening. And uh, TP, we'll talk to you on the phone tomorrow. Yes, sir. All right, where are you guys? Where you'll see, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, birthdays and sports. A five at five a little bit earlier today, and then a little bit of a Heisman discussion. Look out for some of the players on the Heisman watch list this year. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call, starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday afternoon. There's several ways that you can count down until Auburn playing uh, UMass inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium. You can count it down such as hours, which is 46 and a half roughly right now as we start the 4 o'clock hour on a Thursday. In terms of days, which is two. In terms of show hours, which would be five at this point with yep. two more hours on, on this day, three on tomorrow. Uh, so so you could count it down into meals had. You, you could. Which would be what? Dinner, breakfast. I don't lunch, eat breakfast. Dinner, take that one out. Breakfast. Uh, six meals yeah. if you eat breakfast, four if you yep. don't. A lot of different ways to count it down. But again, for the purpose of this show, the way I think of it candy bars eaten. Five, well, not that way. Five more uh, radio show hours until Auburn and UMass. We'll continue to break that down. We'll also have some thoughts coming up here in just a few minutes about the Heisman race, or projected Heisman race, which is really not a race if no one's began running it yet except for Caleb Williams. But uh, we And maybe Sam Hartman, if you believe Sam Hartman, dark horse season. Uh, I kind of like Sam Hartman this year. But we will uh, we'll get to the projected Heisman race in just a moment. But for now, let's get to today's birthdays in sports. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. 
All right, birthdays in sports today. They start with Larry Fitzgerald, who turns 40, former wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. Fitzgerald is considered to be one of the all-time greats at the wide receiver position, selected third overall out of Pitt. Go Panthers. Back Go at, Panthers. Back in the 2004 NFL draft, he would play from 04 to 2020. 11-time Pro Bowler alongside other accolades named a part of the NFL 100th anniversary all-time team, being named one of the greatest to ever do it. Fitzgerald finished his career with over 17,000 receiving yards, over 1,400 receptions, 121 touchdowns, and his number one is retired by Pitt. You know what my favorite um, thing about Larry Fitzgerald is, though? What's that? He's featured on the cover of NCAA Football 2005, which Which is by far my favorite NCAA game. It is great. We have that at the apartment. Larry Fitzgerald attended Academy of Holy Angels out of Richfield, Minnesota. Go Stars. Go Stars. Angel stars, basically. Yes. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> well, I <laughs> yeah. like it. Larry Fitzgerald is 40 You're right, Brooks. I love that game, too. We all love that game. Jalen Brunson is 27 today, current guard for the New York Knicks. Before playing in the NBA, Brunson, a very successful collegiate career at Villanova. Go Cats. Mary won two NCAA titles, was a first-team All-American, National College Basketball Player of the Year, and two-time first-team All-Big East. Selected in the second round by the Dallas Mavericks. However, in the summer of 2022, he'd sign a four-year, $104 million deal with the New York Knicks. His number one is retired by Villanova. He attended Stevenson High School out of Lincolnshire, Illinois. Uh, go Patriots. Patriots. Heck yeah. Tom Coughlin, 77 today, former head coach in the NFL. Before his coaching days, Coughlin played for Syracuse. Go Orange. As a halfback, became a three-year letter winner. Bounced around before landing to be the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. He was there until 2002 when he would become the New York Giants head coach. Would go on to win two Super Bowls, both over the New England Patriots. Uh, and, uh, yeah, sorry, Brooks. Finished, I, I put that in there. <laughs> he finished his career with a 170 and 150 record as head coach. He's a member of the New York Giants Hall of Fame. So, Tom Coughlin attended Waterloo High School in Waterloo, New York. Go Tigers. Tom Coughlin, 77 today. And Matt Adams is 35, a former Atlanta Brave, nicknamed Big City. I did not know that. Selected in the 23rd round of the 2009 MLB Draft, where he was selected out of Slippery Rock University. Go, go Lions. Let's go Rock. Yeah, he began his <laughs> career with the St. Louis Cardinals, where he would have a successful tenure. Played from in St. Louis from 2012 to 2017. He would then be traded to Atlanta after bouncing around the league, winning World Series with the Nationals. He landed back in Atlanta in 2020. Over 118 home runs and uh, or 118 homers, 400 RBIs in his career. So, by the way, uh, there my Scott Slippery Rocket. It is a lion, but it's named Rocky or the Rock as it goes by. But besides that, Matt Adams attended Phillipsburg Osculeta Area High School. Go Mounties. That is a mouthful and a mount. Uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting name there, too. And those are our birthdays in sports today. Matt Adams, 35. Tom Coughlin, 77. Jalen Brunson, 27. Larry Fitzgerald is 40. There are, uh, just a fun fact, there are 42 guys that have made a Major League Baseball roster that played baseball at Slippery Rock. Matt Adams is by far the most notable. I would I would hope so. Matt Adams was a legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, that I wouldn't go that far. Maybe for that university, but... Yeah, yeah. For, for Slippery Rock, yeah. Uh, so... Let's transition now into uh, some Heisman discussion. We've talked about just about everything you could to preview football here in the last month. Again, we previewed the Power 5 leagues. We did over-under win totals back in the month of July for the Power 5 teams. We did every SEC team breakdown. We've not really given playoff predictions, and we've not really given Heisman predictions. Playoff predictions will come tomorrow. 
along with final Auburn season predictions. But today, let's do some Heisman. There are a lot of intriguing players going in this year. I don't know. I'm not going to be one of those that goes with the hyperbole of this might be the most loaded quarterback contest ever, or I can't remember the last time there was this many players. But it does feel like coming into a year, there's a few more people, at least that I'm looking out for, that I think a lot of people are looking out for. My mind starts out west, not only with Caleb Williams. I think the Pac-12 is blessed to have three true Heisman candidates. Not only Caleb Williams, but Michael Penix of Washington and Bo Nix of Oregon. Uh, So that's an interesting dynamic there. Those also have to be three of the four competitors to win that conference. You've got some other people that have garnered a lot of headlines. You know, Jaden Daniels could be in the mix from LSU. You know that Jordan Travis could be in the mix from Florida State. Uh, Maybe Drake May, if North Carolina can have a big enough season. There's a lot of names. There's not many guys that are non-quarterbacks. Um, I know Tom suggested, you know, what about Brock Bowers earlier this week? I just don't think the numbers will be there, even for as great of a tight end as he is. I think there will be some gaudy numbers being put up elsewhere. Last year felt like a weak Heisman ceremony. It felt like a weaker pull. It's just nobody could really be on a be nobody had like the huge win because Caleb Williams had that chance he lost to Utah he still won the Heisman anyway you know Penix at Washington was just such an unknown commodity until the second half of the year yes he had the Indiana year during COVID but still most people Indiana Penix transferred to Washington you just lose track of something like that so last year felt a little bit weak I think this year has the potential to be strong what do you guys think about the the Heisman race and, and guys you like or maybe don't like as much? I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's a it, you don't like to go and, and throw things you know throw throw uh, words out there a, a lot about like oh this is a, 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 one of the greatest quarterback races. But you look at it and you, you just look at the odds and everybody on that list, most everybody on that list is a quarterback, and most everybody every quarterback on that list you're looking at you're like. Yeah, I could see that happening. I, if they, you know, if things, it's it's such a it's such a deep uh, deep list this year, and it could get even deeper depending on some of these the quarterback races that we've uh, that we still uh, we saw in fall camp that you may not be talking about because a lot of guys, you know, like a Caleb Williams, like a Jane Daniels, like a Sam Hartman, you knew coming out, uh, you knew coming into this season, uh, at least in the fall camps, this is the quarterback. They're starting the quarterback at this place. There are places like a, like a Georgia at an Ohio State. And Alabama, Tennessee, who's had quarterback competitions and who's who's been uncertain about who you know who their quarterback is ultimately going to be, that could stick their noses in there, depending on how their team goes. We saw um, uh, Georgia quarterback last year. Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. We saw him at the Heisman ceremony. Whether you know people thought he should have been there or not, he he garnered votes because of how well that the the Georgia program was last year, um, and he was able to get there. So you could see a, a quarterback um, rise from just you know not being a, a, a guy that you hear uh, to start the year because he was in a competition to to be one of these names. Um, you know Caleb Williams, obviously you, you got to throw him in there. He's he's the you know the defending. 
Heisman winner. He's he's a guy that's one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in college football right now. One of the most dynamic quarterbacks we've seen in college football in a couple years. Um, Jaden Daniels, uh, I think that if, you know he there was some times last year, and I think we talked to um, I think it was Jason Caldwell either at SEC Media Days or or a day or, two, or a couple little after Media Days where he talked about you know that that LSU game last year. Jaden Daniels got outplayed at some points by Robbie Ashford, and and so you know if he takes that step forward, I know right now he's pretty high in the in the odds, but uh, or high in the chances to win is is what I'm trying to say um he, he's a guy that if he if he takes that step forward has a really good year can be that guy um you, you said sam hartman you said jordan travis those are two guys that are in there uh you, you know you've got guys like like i said you've got guys like uh like clemson's uh kate klubnik if he steps in and he leads them back to uh i'm not going to say the you know winning ways because they they were down last year they still what topped 10 wins uh the Clemson last year he leads them back into uh, a conference championship game he could be there um uh you know your your North Carolina guy Drake May uh could insert himself in there a big performance this weekend against South Carolina could could really help him out um and then I've seen and I've seen a lot of people talk uh say a, a dark horse could be uh, the Penn State quarterback, and so it, it's if they have a really good year, um, it, it's just it, it's it it really is a a really deep deep quarterback area. Um, there, and then there's a couple other guys that could that could uh, be in there. Um, what who did the the, uh, the Penn State running back last year that had a really really big year? Um, oh gosh, I don't remember his name. Uh, but uh, if you you know if you're looking at Ole Miss, maybe Quinshawn Judkins inserts his name in there. It's a really big year. Uh, I think it was uh, Nicholas Singleton, wasn't it? Singleton. Yes. He, yeah. Well, the Penn State back. Yeah. Yes, he it, is. Uh, he is. He was a freshman last year. And and so you know had a big year last year. Uh, and and so there there's so many names. It, it's it's just it it's you you throw names out there and you know it, it maybe this guy will stick. It's really kind of become a quarterback. Uh, award. There's a you know a couple running backs make it in there. We saw a wide receiver win it a few years ago, but overall it's a it's a quarterback award, a, a big quarterback award now. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's there's gosh, there's so much good talent in college football this year. This is gonna be fun. This is gonna be a fun college football season watching these quarterbacks slinging around. So you you took just about everyone <laughs> I was gonna say, especially the Quinson Quinshawn Judkins one. I was uh, a little angry that you got to that one because that was my big old, you know, what about him? I think he's going to be really good this year. Uh, I think that system lines up really well for him out of all the running backs uh, that are listed on there. I think he definitely has the best chance because of that system just really goes well with him. But, yeah, I totally agree with you. But my favorite to watch out of all these, and I see his odds are pretty high up there, is Michael Penix Jr. Because um, I love watching those late-night windows, and last year just seeing Penix just throw the ball three million yards down the field, and he didn't care if it was intercepted or touchdown. It's just so much fun to watch, and I think that's another offense that could really benefit him. They just fell in a, a couple games short last year against like UCLA, and they lost to some other schools, but I think it will be really interesting to see how he does this year because there is a lot of hype behind him, and he also has a really good receiving core up there. It's just that a lot of people don't notice them because, well, they play at around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So, But if you do get the chance, if you want to stay up like I do and you want to watch that, uh, feel free to give Michael Penix Jr. a watch at Washington. But I would say that 
I mean, you don't. I don't want to say that I think Caleb Williams is going to win it because it's just only one time it's ever happened. A two-time Heisman Trophy award-winning quarterback. And me personally, just saying this, I think Jaden Daniels is a little too high for my liking. I would. I would like to see Jordan Travis be there because I think he is a very good quarterback, and Mike Norvell's done a really good job with him and that program. So I think um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the quarterback race – or not the quarterback race, because uh, that's what it feels like. But well, yeah. yeah, I, I saw Jalen Milrow. That's why I said that. Uh, I think if he wins the job, we could see his odds kind of spike up there, kind of like how Kyle McCords did whenever he won the Ohio State job. But I think it'll be really interesting to follow the Heisman Trophy race this year because it could be like last year where – they, you don't have like, eh, you know, like you said, there. Caleb Williams never got that signature win. He got blown out in the Pac-12 championship game. So we could see that this year. Or who knows? Maybe, maybe Carson Beck goes out there and he, you know, goes thirteen or twelve and zero in the regular season, thirteen and zero. Let's say they beat Alabama or LSU badly. You could see a world where Carson Beck is the Heisman Trophy winner, even though I don't know how good he is. But it just could be a matter of he's. He's leading the best team, and he's, you know, if he has really good numbers, I mean, who's to deny him? They seem to give um, Bennett credit for that last year. However, again, I think the difference is this year there will be guys that are already on people's radars that will already be paying close attention to and will appreciate the numbers they put up more than they did last year. Again, just, just from a starting mentality standpoint, we see this sometimes in the rankings. And sometimes they're faulty perceptions, but just be, just by perceiving someone as something, it helps so much because you're on the radar immediately. That three, if someone starts out that's on this list with a 300 yard game in week one, you're already on the radar. You you didn't have to it, say say someone like the UCLA quarterback. If it's going to be what Dante Moore or whatever. Well, they they announced that it was the Kent State transfer. Oh, it was not the five-star player. It the, was that, not. Okay, no. so say he went out there and had a 300-yard game week 1. Five touchdowns, looked all awesome. No one's going to know. No 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 one's going to be starting to put him up to third or fourth on the boards. But if any of these guys that were just mentioned have that type of day, yeah, they're going to move up a board. They're going to be already in the forefront of your mind. And so that's where it matters that all these guys, a lot of these guys are coming from a really good year last year that started to get noticed late on. Yeah, it may have, mean, may have meant that that was a weaker situation last year, but it's going to lead to a stronger situation where you're going to have to play even better this year. When I'm looking at it, I'm sorry to the running backs. I just don't see it. Uh, we talked at the NFL level about – how little running backs are actually factoring into success now. And I don't think it's hit to that degree in college, but I certainly think that the value added still is just significantly more from the quarterback position. I just think it is that way. If you're a running back, you got to have the pass catching ability too. Yeah, you you got it. You exactly like a McCaffrey did, or, or you just have to have 50 million carries like Derrick Henry did, something like that. I mean, that, that's that's what you're looking at. Uh, you got to impact the game more than the average. Oh, 25 carries, 130 yards, two touchdowns. Nice. Good for you. Because Quenshaw Junkins is going to do that every week. Yeah. Even in a great SEC, he will rush for 100 yards really every week. Uh, it's just that 
can Ole Miss win enough games? Can he do just unbelievably gaudy numbers? No, probably not, as great as he is. Blake Corm of Michigan, as great as he is, there's a number two back there. So, yeah, Michigan's going to run the ball a lot. But uh, what, Edwards or Donovan Edwards? That yeah, the it's Donovan back? He, he ran for like 900 yards last year. So he's not. he deserves 15 carries a game. There's period. And so that's 15 less touches for Blake Corm. So Blake Corm's probably not winning the Heisman. I know J.J. McCarthy's on some odds. They don't throw enough for that. So it's interesting because a couple of the most successful teams that may have a candidate, that's not their style. Like, like if George is really good, I, I, Carson Beck might be awesome. I'm not trying to disparage him. I've never seen him. Never seen him play in college. But the likelihood is that Georgia does not need him to be really good. They will need him to be okay. They won't need him to be awesome. Other teams out there, like Washington needs Michael Penix to be awesome. Oregon needs Bo Nix to be awesome. USC, with their defense, needs Caleb Williams, and he will be. He's really good. But they need Caleb Williams to be really awesome. And so when I'm looking at this race, the couple of guys lesser mentioned um, or, or hardly mentioned that I'm targeting – Again, I don't know what's wrong with me this year because I, I hate their guts. I don't like them at all. And most years I do think they're overvalued. I like Sam Hartman in Notre Dame this year. I just do. I'm sorry. You don't win 10 games at Wake Forest for the hell of it. That, that Sam Hartman did something real at Wake Forest. He threw for over 4,000 yards in the year that Wake Forest went to the ACC title game. And I really think that while they won't make the playoff, they're going to beat either Ohio State, Clemson, or USC. They're going to beat one of those teams and cost them a playoff spot. They will factor in to who beats the playoffs. And I've gone as far as to say as picking my, calling my shot there, I think they're going to beat USC at the end of the year. And if they do that, it's going to be really hard for you to vote Caleb Williams if they lose a very critical game in, in the 11th game, 11th hour, to Sam Hartman and Notre Dame. And, and, and so... I think Hartman's in this. I'll be, and no, it's not because he threw on Navy. Well, every it, that's I'm not sipping that cool. That's going to happen a lot. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not because of that. He had nice numbers, fine, whatever. But I just think that if Notre Dame gets that key win, if they do have a nine or ten win season, they're top fifteen. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for Sam Hartman. Uh, another guy that I like a little bit more than maybe a- average, just as a. Uh, as a as a bet that if you think if you're convicted by this person, okay, let me say this is, is this is not this is not a, a high probability happening. It's just quite it's the ceiling is if you really like Joe Milton. And if you really like Joe Milton, knowing that that offense will put up unbelievable numbers and you know that Hinden Hooker was very much in that conversation last year, then you would be intrigued by Joe Milton. Um, I don't think he will get to that level. I don't sip the Kool-Aid to that degree. But again, I allow for the possibility that if that scheme really is that damn good and Tennessee does have a big year, even post-Hendon Hooker, look, we're going to give credit to two people. Josh Heupel, he's for real. And then Joe Milton, he's for real. So I think that Milton, because his odds are much lower than some of these other guys, you might want to take those odds. I mean, it's like two plus 2,000, uh, 2,500, all that. I, I would I would be interested in that if you really believe because look Tennessee their their schedule side of things like they do have Alabama and Georgia and those are two huge opportunities again if you're thinking the absolute best case for Tennessee he's going to get two huge opportunities now 
those could be the two games that make you go 15 to 33 and throw two picks and then you're out of it. But at least the opportunity will present itself. And a lot of people are intrigued by him. I don't think for a guy that's barely started, I don't think he has to work his way into people's minds the way other newcomers will have to. He's already been talked about a lot because people are fascinated by the fact that he can throw at 80 yards and by some of his play there beating Clemson, for example, um, in the Orange Bowl last year. So he's somebody that if you want to take kind of an outlier or take somebody that's not top five or ten in odds, I'd be interested in that. Um, ultimately, guys, give me a top three. I, I, I know it's tough. If pick, Give me a winner. Give me a top three. Give me who's going to New York. Oh, gosh. We're going to be wrong. Let's all embrace it. All right, fine. Well, let's be wrong I'll, together. I'll never be wrong. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, top three going to be in New York. I'm going to say – I'm gonna say Caleb Williams, man. I, uh, you, you, you're, Sam Hartman. I, I, I talked I've, you into it. I got it. convinced. Be, I think both of them make it. I think whoever wins that football game gets the votes, but okay. they both make it. Um, and then I'm gonna, you know, you like Travis? Gosh, I, I do. There's one guy I forgot to mention. I don't put him in top three, but I'm gonna have another long swill. Look, we talking coming um, up. I'm gonna go. You know. I'll, I'll, I'll go Michael Penix Jr. Okay. I think Michael Penix Jr. makes it to there. Okay. Okay. I'll go from down the order to the winner. So I think – so it's the top three, right? Yeah. So I think third will be Caleb Williams. I think number two will be Blake Corum. I think, oh, wow. I think, I think they're going to be – I think that schedule's so bad. Yeah, just I think, the numbers will be gaudy. Yeah, I think he'll just – I think him and Donovan Edwards could definitely – but I think Blake Corum will have more carries. And the winner – and maybe this is just me and, you know, maybe some nostalgia watching. It would be one Michael Penix Jr. Wow. Yep. Okay. Hot take. So Penix getting a lot of love, man. That's Not a lot you, of love. <laughs> I don't hate him. I don't hate it. I'm just worried about – here's something I worry about with, with West Coast teams that are not USC. The minute you do something bad, do people just stop caring? Like, do people write you off? Because they watch you less. And people felt that way a little bit. Not that McCaffrey really had any bad games, but people felt that way to a degree about McCaffrey, where you just didn't see him enough. And that is a real thing. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily as big as Pac-12 people want to say it, because, again, I'll slam the Pac-12 uh, people running that operation till the cows come home. But... That is a real thing where people on the East Coast, especially maybe not Central Time Zone, but East Coast, it's 10.30 when those games start. And they all care about the NFL anyway. But yet, a quarter of the votes come from the East just like they do from the other regions. They break them off into four regions. So I think it is a challenge, especially if you're at Washington. At USC, people know to watch Caleb Williams. And I do think a lot of people know that Michael Penix is on the radar but if they see him once and he underwhelms, he's out for them, and, and it won't it won't be it won't really be fair. But that that might be how they operate because that, they're just not as big of a brand, and they are on the West Coast. My top three, and by the way, I want I meant to mention one other person, kind of the same line, line as Milton, where the odds he's a little high in the odds for me. But I'm interested if the season goes a certain way, you know, the hype train will start. If Texas is any good this year, if they finally have their 10 or 11 win year, Quinn Ewers is going to be a huge reason for that. So 
look, it, it, Lord forbid they did go to Bryant Denny and win. I was about to then, say, that, you know, yeah. that's going to put Ewers up there immediately. Again, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't take that bet. But if you want someone with a high outlook, high ability, Ewers is there. He's going to have the opportunity because he's going to get the opportunity of a nationally important game plus a conference he can definitely win. So Ewers is is interesting to me. I think my three, I've got to put Hartman in there because I really think they're going to have a big year. I will say, I will say number three will be my off-the-wall pick. You'll like this one, TP. Off-the-wall, I didn't even mention him yet. Take Marvin Harrison Jr. to go to New York. Won't win. He'll go. He'll have huge numbers. I didn't want to mention him because I didn't want to seem biased, but I I hope he's there. So <laughs> I I don't know if McCord. I just I don't know enough about McCord, but I know they'll that be force fair. feeding Marvin Harrison Jr. That is totally. So I'll fair. give him third. Caleb Williams two, really big. He's gonna have a big year. He has to, or USC won't be great. Their defense is not good enough. He has to score forty points a week. He'll be two. Going Hartman one as a kind of a dark horse winner. I'm going to be wrong. That's fine. I don't inherently. I don't want the nerdy player to win the Heisman, uh, but I think Hartman, what he did at Wake Forest, again following that league, that's not a small thing. That was not an easy thing to accomplish, and I think he was a huge reason that they did get to an ACC title game. They did get some national love for a little while. And a 4,000-yard year, man, you know he can be prolific, but he needs to be. The interceptions were a little high. It's like about 12 picks a year, but he's 35, 36 touchdowns. If he has 35 to 40 touchdowns at Notre Dame with that stage and with the games they'll play, he's going to be up there. So I'll take I'll take Hartman there. Look, you know, you know I want my boy Drake May. You know that. I just don't think – I just don't – I think Carolina's going to be a little underwhelming this year. I think they're going to lose to South Carolina in week one. Spoiler alert for picks tomorrow. And I just don't think that Drake May has enough around him to help the gaudy numbers you need in a year where you've got five to seven quarterbacks that you're just guaranteed to put up some good numbers. The last time Notre Dame had a Heisman Trophy winner was 1987, Tim Brown. Okay, was a wide receiver. So it's been a while for a historic program. Had some really good teams. And I just think that this year, that one, the 1v1 matchup you're going to be afforded there at the end. Again, Notre Dame's got to get there with two losses or fewer. They can't get there at 8-7-4 and four or 7-3, seven and three, whatever. Um, but I, I like that opportunity for them. All right, we're going to finally take a break in this hour. That was a long spiel on the Heisman <laughs> Trophy. When we come back, we will reveal Sports Golf's Player of the Week. We'll go ahead and have a, a short 5-at-5. Five about the games coming up tonight. Five o'clock hour, Zach Blackerby will join us right at the top of the hour, and then we'll get a little bit more into the games coming up tonight. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger Time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call.
back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childers with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. Again, coming up at 5 o'clock, got Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked On Auburn and Village Vice, as uh, he will be previewing this Auburn and UMass game. And coming up in just a few minutes, we'll do a Sports Call 5 at 5, a little bit ahead of the 5 o'clock hour about the games coming up tonight. And also that will be a little bit uh, in the 5 o'clock hour as well. But uh, as promised, as we continue on with this 4 o'clock hour, let's reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week. Braves designated hitter Marcelo Zuna is Sports Call's Player of the Week. The Big Bear produced in a big way for Atlanta last week as over seven games, he racked up a 440 batting average with five homers and 10 RBIs, scoring nine runs himself. Behind Ozuna's hot streak, the Braves had another winning week, now holding a 12-and-a-half game lead over the Phillies in the NL East. They also hold a four-game lead over the Dodgers for best record in the National League and a two-game lead over the Baltimore more Orioles for best record in the majors. Marcelo Zuna is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Marcelo Ozuna winning Sports Call's Player of the Week. That is not something we would have thought would have happened back in the month of April. As Ozuna from the Braves up to 31 homers now in the year after a couple more this week. Another nine-game hitting streak. He's already had a couple of double-digit game hitting streaks. But had the big week last weekend with five homers, and I mean, I don't know. He 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 is playing, he is hitting at a level pretty similar to 2020. And that shortened season when he hit 15, 16, 17 homers, hit 330, that's pretty much the level Ozuna has played, I would say, almost since he came out of it uh, in, the, in the month of May when in that Miami series early in May. Ozuna's been insane. This Braves lineup's been insane. Steve mentioned it, up to 250 homers, broke the franchise record last night. Just just un, uh, literally un, unheard of, untouched numbers that the Atlanta Braves were putting up in their entire franchise's history. Yeah, he's seeing the baseball so well right now. And, it, and like you said, uh, when, when you started this year and you got a month into the season, you there was a lot of Braves fans and, and a lot of Braves fans saying, when are we going to cut him? When, when, when are the Braves going to cut him? It, it's it's got to be now. Cut him, cut him, cut him. And the... Thankfully, you know, if you know, looking back at it, thankfully, uh, the Braves front office and the, the management was was patient with him because they said, "No, we know we know the potential here." And I tell you what, when as as soon as that calendar turned to May, he it, a, a switch flipped, and it has not flipped off since. And then, like you said last week, a a huge week for him. Uh, and I'll tell you what, these are you, you mentioned it this week uh, already putting up some stats. He's already on my list for maybe a, a vote for this week's Player of the Week uh, and make it a could go back to back. I don't know if we've had a back to back Player of the Week this calendar year. Uh, I don't know. A lot of Braves guys, obviously, yeah. but I don't know. But it's it's the the thing about it though is the Braves lineup has just been so good top to bottom yeah. that it's like there have been Braves and back to back weeks, but it's been different guys that have had huge weeks. So we it may you know. Matt Olson may have had a back-to-back at some point uh, this year, it's, you know. It, it, but I'll tell you what, it's it's uh, it, you're hard pressed to find a guy in, in this Braves lineup that's hotter right now than Marcelo Zuna. He is he is uh, smacking the absolute leather off the baseball. Yeah, I, I think you brought up a really good point there. Is that they wanted to DFA him? They're just like, when can he go? You know, it wasn't a matter of if; it was just when. When can we get rid of him? And you know, now he's an integral part of that lineup, and that's just something that really 
it, it bothers me because I feel like it happens more with baseball fans where, especially early on the season, if someone goes into a slump, it's just immediate. Some fan bases are like, you know, I'm a Yankees fan, so we, we definitely fall into this trap. But um, a lot of fan bases will do it just like, when are we going DFA him? Just DFA him. You know, it's never get him out of the slump. It's just let's just get rid of him or let's trade him. And that that's one thing that's bothered me. I've noticed that a lot with uh, some MLB fan bases. But they stuck to it, the front office, you know, the Braves have one of the best run front offices in the Major League Baseball. So they stuck with him, and boy, has it paid off for them because he's had a remarkable year. And, you know, like you said, once the May calendar hit, he was just like, oh, there we go. I remember how to hit a baseball now. Let's go. So <laughs> it was just – it's really nice to see because it was really kind of upsetting to see he was getting booed. It was just really – it was not a good situation. And then all of a sudden he just – he just – turned into prime ozuna so it was just <laughs> it was really good to see happy for him happy that he's this week's uh sports calls player of the week yeah up into the 260s now with 31 home runs tied for ninth in major league baseball um and of course braves have a couple other players that are in that home run uh race too with olsen being second in the in the big leagues i saw a stat on mlb network uh, by the way as a side that Mar- uh, matt olsen not homered in 15 games. It's actually tied for the second longest streak of his career. Wow. Uh, so he went from hitting a homer almost every game to now almost a uh, historic slump in that department. He's up in the 270s now. Olsen's not slumping overall uh, just from a home run perspective. You get so used to it, but actually even by his standards, he's about to he's undergoing one of his longest homerless slumps in his career. Uh, so good thing someone like Ozuna has continued to stay red hot. Uh, this Braves lineup has been uh, unbelievable. But even back on the Azuna topic, going back to April, look, it was getting hard to, to support him. I was one of the few that was still uh, hanging in there, needed some more time to see it. I know that felt weird to everybody, but my whole spiel was sample sizes. And baseball is so many games that the sample sizes are far different than what we're used to analyzing football all the time. And I was talking about how he had played about 25 to 30 games. Well, in the course of a 162-game season, you know that's only about uh, 20% of the season, less than 20%, 15 to 20% of the season. So take that into a even a pro football year. Okay, When you're looking at 20% of a pro football season, it's about three games. And so at that point, you're like, well, if you were watching your NFL team and you saw three bad games with somebody, you would be looking to give someone another opportunity, but you would not be trying to release that player. And so that's how I looked at it with Ozuna was, I think he should still be on this team for a little while longer. I think you should be pivoting towards other players starting to take starting to take his at-bats. But hang in there another few weeks and make sure this is gone. And I think it was also because the patience came from the fact that he did hit 300 in the spring. And to us, who the, who the hell cares about spring? We don't care who's winning the games, blah, blah, blah. But to the front office, that told them for a 25-game stretch, similar to the stretch that he had had to begin the season, and that same amount of time he had hit 300, it's somewhere in there because we just saw it. And so we want to make sure that this is just not the other extreme of that extreme and that this is for real. We want to make sure it's that as opposed to, no, 
he's just going from extreme to extreme. He's got something on the other side of this, too. To be fair, when I was saying, hey, let's wait this out a few more weeks, I was not thinking 30-plus homers this year. <laughs> I was not thinking all the way up in the 260s. I was thinking he'd enter in the 20s, 20 to 25 homer range, hitting 230, 240. I did not think he would come around to this degree, uh, but it's been pretty phenomenal to watch. Yeah. Yeah, if you would have asked a Braves fan, be like, "Oh, what do you think Marcel?" Back in April, if you were like, "Hey, what do you think Marcel Ozuna is going to be doing around September?" They'll be like, "Oh, waiting tables at Applebee's." That, <laughs> I mean, they were ready for it. They were yeah. they were ready for it. To Trying be over. not to get into more uh, trouble with the law, probably not uh, not not doing not getting DUIs. Hopefully, uh, at that point. But uh, yeah, the turnaround has been incredible. Of course, big four game set for the Braves starting in LA tonight. You can catch all the action on twelve thirty WAD. As uh, the Braves, this could determine it. If they win this series, they're going to be the number one seed. I believe that they'd be up to. They win this series, it's as a six-game lead. It's four right now. If they sweep, it's eight. They won't sweep. I don't think. I don't think the Dodgers sweep them either. But the Dodgers win the series. They win three out of four. They cut it to two. So that's uncomfortable. If they split, still four. I don't. I won't guarantee. I won't say it's over. But the Braves still be in a really good spot. But big series, obviously coming up. As promised, want to get to the sports call five at five ahead of the five o'clock hour break because Zach Black will be coming up in a few minutes. And we want to remind remind you that the sports call five at five is presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. All right, real quickly, the sports call 5 at 5 today. Five games that will be on the major networks tonight in college football. We start off with... Number 1. 6 o'clock, UCF Knights. Their voyage into the Big 12 begins, but with a non-conference opponent. They'll take on Kent State at the Bounce House in 6 o'clock on FS1. Number 2. North Carolina State at UConn. That's 6.30 on the CBS Sports Network. UConn was trying to get into a Power 5 league. Had some talks with the Big 12, really basketball-centered. They end up not getting the Big 12. They'll face ACC Dave Doran, NC State program, who continues to have 7-8 wins a year. That one's 6.30 on the CBS Sports Network. Number three. 7 o'clock on Fox. It's Nebraska Minnesota. Uh, P.J. Fleck trying to row the boat. We got uh, differing opinions on the other side of the board on who they want to win that game. Matt Rule's first game in Nebraska. P.J. Flint continues to coach Minnesota. Minnesota lost some key players. We'll see how they reload. Number four. In the SEC, 7 o'clock SEC Network, Missouri trying not to have a a panic of a start to the season. They take on South Dakota, 28-point favorites. Missouri, I'll just go ahead and tell you, they cannot afford a lapse in quality there. Uh, as uh, Missouri needs to have a good non-conference get going, and uh, Eli Drinkwitz certainly one of the hotter seats in the Power Five. And he was—he wanted to talk about that football game. I was on the uh, the SEC teleconference yesterday, and folks were asking him about some NIL stuff. And he's—and he went on. He said, "Guys, listen, we got a bye week. You can ask me that during the bye week. Right now, I want to talk about South Dakota." And <laughs> he, he was, that better he, not backfire. He was—he was, he was adamant. What, better not backfire. And last up, number five is the biggest one tonight, seven o'clock on ESPN. It is Florida. 
at Utah. Does not look like Cam Rising will play for the Utes. That will be disappointing for them. They will certainly need him if they want to make a Pac-12 push it towards the end of the year. We also want to tell you, though, don't forget – that this year we will be having college football games of the week over on FM Talk 93.9. We've partnered with Compass Media and Touchdown Radio, and one of the great games you will get to hear is that Florida and Utah game. If you tune in to FM Talk 93.9 at 6.30 this evening, you're going to hear pregame coverage of Florida and Utah with kickoff shortly after 7 o'clock. And again, we will have games throughout the season. I believe this Saturday's game is going to be Penn State and West Virginia, so a top 10 team on the airwaves of Tiger Communications coming up this weekend so stay tuned for all the action there over on fm talk 93.9 but that's the sports call five at five presented by southeastern land group ucf and kent state six o'clock fs1 nc state yukon 6 30 cbn sports network nebraska minnesota seven o'clock on fox south dakota missouri seven o'clock on sec network and florida at utah seven o'clock on ESPN. That will do it uh, for our number two of the program. A little bit of a break here. On the other side of this break, Zach Blackerby, host of Locked on Auburn and Village Vice, will be joining us to talk all things Auburn UMass and this Auburn football program. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call today on this Thursday afternoon, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, and Brooks Childress with you. And we are now pleased to go to our Auburn Bank phone line to open up our number three. And we are pleased to be joined by Zach Blackerby, the host of Locked on Auburn and Village Vice, uh, the new podcast with he and Brad Law. Uh, Zach, really appreciate the time today. Getting very excited for football season. How are you this afternoon? I'm good, man. You can feel it, right? You can feel that uh, it seems like football is actually back. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, obviously not the biggest of games to start things off, but I think that's going to be okay with uh, a new coaching staff, a lot of new players in the fold for Auburn. Zach, what do you think is the most important thing to learn here about Auburn in week one against UMass? Well, can they take care of business? I think that's the first thing. We've seen Auburn, whether it was during the Harson era or the Malzahn era or even really the Tuberville era, uh, Auburn kind of let these teams stick around, especially in openers. But, you know, whenever Auburn 
a five-touchdown favorite like they are this weekend, Auburn seems to win these games by like, you know, 27 to 10 or 35 to 20 or you know something like that. Can, can Auburn you know, take care of business, not play with their food, and execute at a high level? Because let's face it, not one player on UMass's roster would start or probably play at Auburn. I mean, so the, the talent gap is going to be dramatic. And also, what does this new offense look like? I assume it's going to be pretty vanilla, same on the defensive side of the ball. I think Auburn's going to run a lot of just base, vanilla-type stuff. But it's still going to look different than what we've seen over the past few seasons, and I think that should be refreshing. And then, obviously, the quarterbacks. What do the quarterbacks look like? Is it exclusively Peyton Thorne? How often do they go to Robbie Ashford for packages? And at what point will they pull him and put in the twos and which quarterback will be leading the second-team offense? I think all of those are going to be kind of the interesting things we're watching for. Zach, uh, I want to look on the offensive side of the ball to start things off here, and, and I want to look at the running game because we've had a lot of questions surrounding Jarquez Hunter in the offseason and coming into the, the first week. Uh, we've gotten to, to hear a lot more about the rest of the running backs in that room. What, is your, what are your thoughts on the running back room as a whole, not just uh, Jarquez Hunter? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like uh, there's some reports saying that uh, Jarquez Hunter may not even be out there. So I expect Damari Austin at the current moment, as we have this conversation, I expect Damari Austin to be the guy, and then Ryan Batty and Jeremiah Cobb to be kind of RB2 and RB3, and everybody kind of have different roles um, because of that pecking order shift. But they should be able to do whatever they want against UMass. Um, I, I don't think UMass is a very good football team. I don't think um, this narrative that they have a top-10 defense a year ago isn't true. I, I don't really understand where that came from. I know Hugh Freeze talked about it in his press conference on Tuesday, but it's not really an accurate statement. They were ninth last year in pass defense, but they were like 100 and something in rush defense. They, they, weren't, they were 55th in total points allowed. Like This isn't a good team. So... Uh, they, they should be able to run the ball at, at will. I mean, New Mexico State should have ran the ball every single play, and they would have won the game uh, a week ago. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about how you felt about um, their head coach is Don Brown, who's best known for his defenses as he was a former Michigan defensive coordinator for many years, but he was also the UMass head coach from 2004 to 2008. So I was just wondering how you felt about uh, how Peyton Thorne would do against those that funkier style of defense, for say, at, would he struggle to read that style? Yeah, sure, sure. And, and I think you should be fine. They've been prepping for this, and I've just talked to people on the team and within the program. I mean, they're treating this like it's a really serious game, and I keep I keep kind of asking questions to these folks, kind of getting them to say, all right, we spent a little time on Cal, or okay, yeah, we did look at A&M for the last 50 minutes, and it's none of that. They are all in on UMass, and I think the fact that UMass had to really pull all the stops out to be competitive against New Mexico State um, they, they showed who they were, or at least they showed what they're trying to do and trying to be in, in order to be successful this season. So I think it's going to be huge for Auburn. I think it's going to be good uh, mental reps for Peyton Thorne and kind of see how you know Coach Freeze and Coach Montgomery watch and evaluate film with him. And, and it's nice that they're able to do that before Cal. And I think Cal's going to probably have their hands full with North Texas this weekend, which will be an interesting game to follow as well. Just a six-and-a-half-point favorite there so i think that's interesting but yeah i'm not expecting this umass defense to to give auburn a ton of trouble uh and if they do i think it'd be concerning 
And so, Zach, when we're looking at the wide receiver room, that's a room that's been I, – I, look, I think people were optimistic about it in the summer, but I think it's it's gotten more – maybe more of a hype around it over the last couple of weeks, especially seeing some of the stuff that Shane Hooks has done and that sort of thing. Where are we at in determining who can break away from the rest of these guys? I think there's a lot of guys that people have some hopes for. How many guys can ultimately break away and end up being the true factors on a game-to-game basis? I think Shane Hooks has done that, but it's practice. I mean, how much can you really break away from somebody and the rest of this group in practice? It's going to come down to what they do in a game, and, and I expect Shane Hooks to take over uh, I made the joke on my show. I, I don't think anybody in the state of Massachusetts can cover Shane Hooks with the exception of the folks that play for the New England Patriots. I, I just don't think there's going to be a ton to what UMass can throw at the guys like Shane Hooks or like a Jair Shorter. I think Javaris Johnson played to have a good game as well. But I think Shane Hooks is going to be that dude. He and Peyton Thorne continue to get more and more on the same page, according to folks who uh, who, who have been at practice. They're able to kind of pass along notes and tidbits. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, in short, I think it's going to be Shane Hooks. But, yeah, you can only do so much of practice. you got to execute in the game. Zach, we've been talking on the show today, and, and I want to pose a question to you. At what point in Saturday's football game do you want to see the first team uh, players not on the field? You're asking the wrong person. Because <laughs> I would say don't ever take them out. I would, I would keep the starters in the whole time to rotate guys in, but that's not how it works, right? We all know this. So, you know, maybe let the twos and threes play the whole fourth quarter in a perfect world. And so many ta- so many teams pull their guys at halftime, but I think in a game like this, it's really important. If Auburn's able to do whatever they want to do, they're able to score at will, and they're up a lot. You know, I, I think it's important to let them come out of halftime and play at least half of that third quarter because you stop for so long and that's a really important rep in and of itself. You want to kind of get the engine back going and pick up game speed and also apply adjustments that you made at the half. And so this is a new coaching staff, and a lot of these guys are new. You definitely want to have that rep of doing that together as a team, as a unit, as a program, uh, before you go and do it on, at Cal on, on the roads. It's just going to be a different type of experience. So to me, at least, at least two and a half quarters, but I'd keep the starters in as long as possible. And Zach, obviously we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but let's do talk a little bit about that Cal team because obviously that's going to be the quote-unquote quiz or test of the the non-conference. It's not as big of a game as Auburn is used to playing as their number one non-conference game, but nevertheless it's what they have this year. First and foremost, are you glad that in year one of a new coaching staff that it is not, say, a top 10 or top 20 opponent, or did you want – that kind of challenge early on before conference play to get a better feel for where this team is at heading to SEC play? Oh, I think it's ridiculous that Auburn always challenges these top five, top ten, top fifteen opponents. The SEC's tough enough. You play Alabama and Georgia every year. Why make your path to the college football playoff tougher? So I'm all for it. The home and home with Cal I thought was a good move. And is it even going to be a power five opponent next year? Um, We'll see. We'll see certainly where Cal ends up as they're currently in the pack four. But I don't think this Cal team is super spectacular. And and I've been told all summer that I'm riding off Cal. I'm riding off Cal. Sure, whatever. Maybe I am. Uh, But I think the elements outside of the game, Auburn versus Cal, are a bigger factor than Cal actually is. I think the traveling across the country 
for the first time in a new staff. I mean, every staff handles travel differently, and so there's a lot of newness with this first part of the season and the Hugh Freeze era and these new coordinators. And so I think that's something. You don't really know exactly what that's going to look like, and you also got 40 players that weren't on this team a year ago. And so I, I think that's part of it. It's also going to be the latest game um, in Auburn football history, or at least tied, uh, that we can find, 9.30 kickoff local time. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty unique. So how do they respond to that? I think those factors are bigger than actually game planning against Cal. I mean, Cal, just as a program, guys, they're going to North Texas this weekend. I mean, think about that. When have you heard of a Power 5 program going to, to that? I mean, that's just kind of wild to me. And on top of that, I looked at it before I jumped on the phone with you guys, a six-and-a-half-point favorite against North Texas. And so I, I just think this is a matchup that Auburn should be able to win unless they just have a hard time adapting to the late kickoff or traveling literally to the other side of the country. Yeah, that was going to be my question for you was uh, how do you think they would be able to be – to travel to the Bay Area, which is very far from here. But uh, another question for you, though, is their best player is uh, their running back named Jaden Ott. He almost he had around 900 yards, eight touchdowns. Do you think he will be a good test for the Auburn run defense? Because last year we saw it was quite putrid. So do you think Mr. Ott will be able to give Auburn a good test? Yeah, so I'm not on the bandwagon of the run defense was as bad as a lot of Auburn media is saying they are. And statistically, sure, you can't argue with it. I mean, as far as their yards allowed per game, they weren't very good. I mean, think about the situation that this defense was in. And like, I just remember like watching Auburn football last year. I was never like, oh, we're bad because of the because of the rush defense. I just never really. I don't know. The offense couldn't convert a third down. And by the end of the game, this team was exhausted. Oh, yeah, and Auburn hardly ever had a lead in their big games. And so what does the other team do? They continue to run it over and over and over again. So I think some context is needed to, like, before we label Auburn as this terrible rush defense from a year ago. But, yes, I mean, obviously any good running back is going to be good because two weeks after Cal is really the first real test when, when, when Auburn starts conference play once again on the road in College Station, and uh, it doesn't matter who A&M trots out at running back. They're going to be better than anything Cal has to offer. But, yes, I think he kind of gets the jitters out against uh, UMass on Saturday. You go across the country. Hopefully you take care of business, and that pretty much clinches a four, four straight, or I guess 4-0 and in your non-conference schedule, and everybody's kind of wondering, can Auburn get to 7 or 8? That gets you pretty close if you're able to beat Cal. And then you, you take care of business, uh, you know, with another non-con opponent, and then you, you get to face Texas A&M on the road. And what I have dubbed uh, over the course of this offseason uh, as the most important game on Auburn's schedule. Talking to Zach Blackerby today on Sports Call. Zach, last one for you. Uh, the Auburn-UMass game is a success for Auburn if blank. Uh, if no one gets hurt, no injuries. I, I think that's the biggest thing, and. Auburn's battled injuries throughout fall camp, but none of them have been like season ending. There's no ACLs or, um, you know, any, any kind of crazy, you know, Achilles injuries or, or things like that. You got to hold on to that. We've had guys, we've seen guys be banged up in the wide receiver room and the defensive front seven. Keep that trend going. It's fine if you have nicks and bruises and tweaks and some minor sprains. That's okay. You can live with that. Uh, we just don't need to see anybody carted off the field. I think that's uh, I think that's probably what Auburn's most focused on is the health because you need all of these guys. Auburn's not a super deep team, so you need them for conference play. 
Absolutely. He's Zach Blackerby, host of Locked on Auburn and Village Vice. Uh, Zach, tell our listeners a little bit where you can find those podcasts and a little bit about Village Vice, as that is a, a pretty new podcast here about Auburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Village Vice is new. You can search for it on YouTube. It's with the folks uh, at the next round, uh, our friends up north in Birmingham. And it's been fun. Yeah, that's with Brad Law with the Auburn Sports Network, like you guys said, at the top of, uh, at the top of our conversation. But that's been a blast. And then also you can find all of my written work at auburndaily.com. Zach Blackerby joining us today on Sports Call. Zach, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. Excited college football is back, and we look forward to talking to you a little bit down the line. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Zach Blackerby today on Sports Call. We're going to take our next time out of the show. We'll be right back. We'll uh, continue to talk a little bit more Auburn, but also preview the games coming up tonight. That is next. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Now, back to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. The Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, TP Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the show. You're again appreciate uh, Zach Blackerby for joining us today on the show. He, of course, does Locked On Auburn and now Village Vice. So appreciate uh, Zach for joining us. If you missed any of that, go back and check it out. The Sports Call podcast presented by. Coca-Cola. A little earlier, we talked some Heisman. We also had our Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group as we talked a little bit about the games coming up tonight but didn't really preview them in their entirety. So let's do that right now as there is a decent slate tonight. And again, the biggest one definitely Florida and Utah. Florida Coming into this as underdogs, given a little bit more of a glimmer of hope, though, with Cam Rising being out. Of course, Florida still won this game last year in the Swamp. It was with Anthony Richardson, now Graham Mertz, transfer out of Wisconsin, joining the Gators and winning that starting job. Year two for Billy Napier. I'm not sure he's guaranteed a year three, even though he's got uh, a great recruiting job underway for 2024. But uh, what do you see as the Gators' chances here on the road? Yeah, I think this is honestly the most – you could argue this is the most important game of Billy Napier's tenure at uh, at Florida because it's just uh, – it's just, you know, it's a big deal. On uh, a Thursday night, you kick off the college football season, 
and you're at Utah. They don't have their stud quarterback, but they bring back a lot of – they are a very consistent program. Kyle Whittingham's been there for a very long time. Their defensive coordinator's been there for a long time. And so it's it's not going to be easy. And um, it's very important for Billy Napier to win this game because you have the whole nation is going to be watching you tonight. They are going to be tuned in to see how you can improve after after a lackluster season going 6-7. and seven. So – it's just going to be – I've been waiting for this game for a long time, and I'm really excited to see it. But I, I don't know if we're giving predictions right now, but I will say that it's probably going to come down to how Graham Mertz can do against a very consistently good Utah defense. Not just consistently good. They're, they're usually at the top in the Pac-12, but they're also one of the best ones in the nation. Not like, not like you know, national-level contending defense, but it's still very good. So it's going to come down to Graham Nur- how Graham Mertz can do against them. Yeah, uh, you know, you, you look at it, it really hurts Utah for not having Cam Rising out there. Uh, I was, saw a stat I wanted to look up earlier. It was from uh, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. Uh, he said, Utah, uh, which hosts Florida tonight, has lost five consecutive games versus non-conference Power 5 teams. The Utes' last non-conference Power 5 win was versus West Virginia in the 2017 Heart of Dallas Bowl. And so it's a, it's a tough hill. The, the thing about it, though, is you do get them at home, and I do really like this Utah defense. I think that they're they're one of the better ones in the Pac-12. Um, they, they're still, you know, even though Cam Rising is not going to play, they're still favored by six points. There, there's a reason for that. Um, and so it, it's, you know, it, it's going to be a really interesting game. I think what, what really hurts Florida is the fact that you didn't have a normal week. You and, and I know that you try to make it as normal as possible, but because of the hurricane that went through uh, Florida, you flew out of there early on Monday. Uh, where have been in Dallas for the last couple of days. You didn't fly into Salt Lake City until I, I think late yesterday, and then it, it, uh, Billy Napier talked about it on the on the presser um, yesterday that they were flying in late yesterday so that you only get one sleep at the at that altitude and then get out right after that uh, the game ends, and so. You know, it, it's it's going to be an interesting game. I think that uh, Florida, like like you guys said, Napier's got a lot to prove this year. I don't think this game, uh, you're on the road at a top 15 opponent. I don't think this game is the the indictment for the rest of the season on Florida. Uh, but it, it certainly, if they lose this game, is not going to quiet anybody. Nobody's going to say, oh, well, you lost this game. That's okay. Anybody that, that is around that Florida program that is, is in the sphere uh, of the Florida Gators that already is not – on board the Napier train, it's just going to add a little bit of fuel to the fire to say, hey, you couldn't go and you couldn't win this game without their starting quarterback. Um, so it, it's it's going to be an interesting one tonight. Well, the unfortunate thing is, even if Napier wins this game, do you feel that much better about it? Not Florida beat Utah last year. And now the excuse is going to be, well, they didn't have Cam Rising and you beat them. So unfortunately for Napier, you're just going to have to have a good year in the SEC to actually start to turn some heads and, and change some opinions. And and look, usually you go to a top 15 team, you get a lot of credit for that. And I look, I'll give it credit because, I mean, that's still asserting the, the SEC dominance that we all perceive uh, against a, a, a team in Utah that's clearly going to finish higher in the Pac-12 than Florida's going to finish in the SEC. But the reality is, is beating Utah didn't mean anything for your season last year either. It was, it was, I guess, what got you the opportunity to get thumped by a different Pac-12 team <laughs> in a bowl game. But it did not lead you to anything of significance for the season, certainly not to Florida expectation level. So 
I think Utah still wins a close one. I think this is probably a low-scoring game. I don't think this is your 40-something to 30-something type of game. That's not the way Utah plays, and I don't think that Florida football this year will play that way either. I think they do need to find more defense. Uh, But unfortunately for Florida, you can't take too much from the big picture really either way. But even in a win, because of what they'll have in the SEC, their their season will be determined – can you beat the South Carolinas and the Kentuckys of the SEC? Can you beat those teams? You still expect to beat Vandy. Of course, everyone does until they don't. And then you do expect to beat Missouri still. But can you beat Kentucky and South Carolina? Those are the two that really changed the dynamic of Florida's season. They're not beating Georgia either way. They do have Tennessee at home. If you, if you think Milton's going to go the opposite way, I talked earlier about the ceiling for him. If you think worst case for Milton – well, that's going to be Milton's first tough road game, you know, in the swamp. That's still going to be a great environment, whether Florida's beating Utah tonight or not. So, okay, you have a small window there of opportunity. But you go to Kentucky and you go to South Carolina. And those are the two teams I want to know if Florida can go beat one of those. Because you just you go on the road, you just outplay somebody like that. And and normally that wouldn't be some big thing, unless we're talking about Steve Spurrier South Carolina teams. Yes, I know, against Florida, Steve Spurrier, South Carolina teams. Uh, unless you're talking about those South Carolina teams, you'd expect Florida to beat South Carolina. you expect Florida to be better than South Carolina. And Florida had that incredibly long streak of beating Kentucky, and especially in Gainesville. So it's not like this earth-shattering concept for Florida to end up winning those games this year. It's just that, hey, projection-wise, they are projected below those teams. And so... The real progress, if Napier were to have it, is to go beat one or both of those teams on the road because, again, that's fighting the perception that they're not going to do that this year. But, again, as far as this game tonight, um, I think Utah minus six is fair. I think that's the range. I do not think Florida will get blown out. I think they'll be very competitive. I just wonder if they lack the offensive creativity and ability to make the key plays against what has always been a fundamentally sound defense. Other games tonight, there's another Power 5 matchup, and it is in the Big Ten. It's between Minnesota and Nebraska. Brooks, I know that you uh, support Minnesota football because of P.J. Fleck. What kind of season do you expect from them this year? Um, I, you know, I, I really, uh, I'm, I really would like an, a Big Ten West win. That'd be great. Uh, and you know, there, I think you're, it, it's op- the door is open because I, I don't like the power in the Big Ten West. I think all the power in the Big Ten is, is in the East right now. Um, and it has been that way. I, the, the one team that I can see that could, you know, that could have a really surprising year, I think would probably be Wisconsin, uh, with a uh, new coach there. And it's, but I, I think the, the ceiling right now is for, for Minnesota this year is a Big Ten West win. Um, the floor, not great uh, because they, they did lose a lot. Uh, it, it's, it, you're, you're starting – there's a lot of new guys uh, on that offense, and it, it's, it's going to be an interesting year. Um, on the other side of the, the sideline you're facing, Nebraska – Matt Rule, what's his first year going to be like? It, it's you know I think Nebraska fans have been looking for somebody uh, exciting and uh, since Bo Pelini, uh, he you know he, Pelini was there 
and for a while, and they they really liked him. He got into that rut, kind of like Mark, Mark Richt got into that rut, where it was eight wins was probably the ceiling, and they moved on. And they thought that Scott Frost, the you know bring bring the kid back, uh, you, you know your your quarterback prodigal son come back. He, he led UCF to a national championship. In no, quotes, don't even. Um, yeah. and the aorist of air quotes. The the uh, and and they were like you, you got excited about that, but really quickly you you saw that you that that was not going to work out. And so Matt Rule, it, it feels like it's a, you know, it was a, a pretty high profile hire when it happened, but you just haven't heard a lot uh, in the off season from, from Nebraska. It's, you've seen a couple clips of Matt Rule at a press conference every once in a while, but you haven't heard a lot coming out of, coming out of Nebraska. And so it's going to be an interesting matchup tonight because it's, it's two programs. I, I don't think that, you know, from the outside looking in, I don't know how much of a hot seat uh, PJ Fleck is on. Uh, I think the the what the the type of success he's brought them in recent years has earned him a little more credibility, um, and so I, I I think it you know if his seat has any sort of warmth on it, it's it's like lukewarm. It's like if you took the mac and cheese out of the microwave and it's had it sitting on the counter for twenty minutes, huh. and it you could still feel a little bit of warmth there, but it's it's nowhere near where you, you the temperature you want to eat it at. Uh, but it, it's you know it's going to be interesting. He, he's I think he's got to get off to a big a fast start this year, and, and what better way to do it than with a conference win? If you are Nebraska, this is the time to beat Minnesota because they just graduated arguably their best running back in program history, and Mo Ibrahim, who is in the NFL now, and he was a machine. He would run over all the people in the Big Ten West. And I feel like Nebraska now, I think the fan base is a little bit more patient. I think they I think they kind of got trapped in these high expectations under Scott Frost. And they're just like, oh, he's going to bring us right back into title contention or, you know, right back into the, you know, nine to ten win seasons. And it just it, it was just really tough to do. And Scott Frost was like like three and 20 and like one score games or something like that. I don't know. Some crazy stat like that. And I think they're willing to give Matt rule a little bit more time. The problem with that though, is I don't know how good this Nebraska team is. And I think PJ Fleck is a great coach. I don't think he's on a hot seat yet. I think he's done a really good job at Minnesota. And I think they really do like him, but I think they're going to be a little, they'll drop off a little bit this year and Nebraska if you come out tonight with a win, you got to feel really good because it's it's struggled. Nebraska struggled to get wins over those higher Big Ten West teams like Minnesota, like Wisconsin, like Iowa, and so it'd be really good for Matt Rule because you would have a lot of, I mean, you'd have a lot of momentum going in, but. I just don't know how much I trust Nebraska tonight. I think it could be a really low-scoring game. It would not surprise me if it was a classic Big Ten game <laughs> that's like 13-10 to 10 or like 13-6, to 6 and, and you guys have to come on tonight uh, tomorrow and be like, well, that was quite the game, that wasn't was very it? very Big Ten of them. Yeah, yeah. but no, I, I just don't know how much I trust Jeff Sims and the Nebraska offense. I think they need a year of rebuilding and get another transfer portal class in and back on the recruiting trail and all. And I think it will be, I, I think it'll be a low scoring game, but I do think Minnesota and the PJ flex will get a W. Yeah. yeah but you know, uh, Jeff Sims from, from Georgia tech, there was a time where it looked like he showed some potential at Georgia tech too. I wonder if with a better coach like rule who did do some good things with some quarterbacks at Baylor, uh, I wonder if he could get a little not not like you're going to turn him into 
an all Big Ten selection, but can you turn him in from below average to above average maybe and, and, and just fill that void? Honestly, I think it's a good thing that Nebraska is under the radar. They've been on the radar for so long and just not meeting expectations for so long. I think for their sake, yeah, just take a chill pill, take a timeout, try and build something. Matt Rule did, in pretty short order, built something at Baylor. Uh, and, and so – I think that he's a good fit there for them. I, I know Matt Rule's name was mentioned for Auburn. I think that was not a good fit for Auburn. It's not indicative of the coach he is, but fits do matter from time to time. Unless you're just like the very best coach out there, fits do matter to some degree. Now, I think, for example, a fit that may not matter too much is Brian Kelly at LSU because he is truly one of the top five to seven coaches in the country. And he's so good with so many resources, it might be too big to fail there. But if he was just a decent kind of coach, then that's where it's kind of like, well, when he's trying to force the issue a little bit and trying to make it fit, you know, it might not work because of that. So with Matt Rule, he feels like he's a Nebraska type of guy in terms of just building something up and being a Midwestern guy. I know he built up Temple. Temple's a very hard place to do anything positive with, and he got it to be a a winning program for a few years. Again, not an incredibly relevant program because Temple never will be, but okay, you, you won games at a place that nobody was winning at and then at Baylor he developed that really quickly so I think it's a good thing Nebraska's flying under the radar what we're saying here for Nebraska fans is take calm take a chill pill take a year off watch some volleyball and come back and see us next year (laughs) well they're already watching volleyball Uh, yeah that's for sure no I think that's a really good way of saying it just like calm down Matt Rule has got a great track record of building programs up it's been really bad lately, so just take a deep right. breath. Enjoy your volleyball, like you said. Enjoy the corn. And, and don't jump the gun on the first solid yeah. win this year. If they do beat Minnesota, don't think it's going to become 10-2 and two all of a sudden. Just Again, just temper everything. We're not saying you should feel that way in, in Nebraska's entirety. Just It's a process to get back to the place that Nebraska thinks it should be. It has to take a couple of years. On the Minnesota side of things, real quickly, P.J. Fleck, 44 and 27 at Minnesota. I think he's done a fair job at Minnesota. I don't think I, I don't think Fleck's security is any issue there. I think that we're just trying to figure out at this point because Fleck was such the hot commodity leaving Western Michigan, going to Minnesota, and he was so young and doing it. People were wondering, is he going to be the next big thing in coaching? Is this going to end up developing into an even bigger Power Five job where he he jumps somewhere else and becomes a, a big time name? I think that ship is beginning to sail. I think he needs to have another like nine win type of year this year with a whole new set of players to be able to still kind of market it that way but I think in no way has he done a bad job at Minnesota I think he's done a really solid job at Minnesota and has made them a pretty consistent win, uh, winner there winning eight to nine games a year yeah I think it's a little surprising though I think the last step he needs is and this may be the only last year that you really can is a berth in the Big Ten Championship because they haven't had that on their tenure which I was a little surprised by but yeah it's just like I think that's the last step like you said like he's been really solid but he hasn't broken through the glass ceiling yet and i feel like this year they i think it's gonna be tough this year but i think last year and the year before especially two years ago i thought they were really on pace to make the big 10 title game and they didn't and it's just i think that's the last big thing that uh pj fleck needs to do at minnesota and then you kind of are like okay 
Well, that seems about right. But, you know, with all the new programs joining next year, I, I think it'd be very difficult for them yeah. to make it back. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's the conversation we had a lot in the SEC, but it's valid for the Big Ten, too. Those middle programs all get knocked down two, three, even four spots with the new arrivals. Going below Oregon and USC, absolutely. Where's Washington at? Where's UCLA at? Where do they factor in? Historically, someone like UCLA is absolutely going to be uh, be higher than than not in the Big Ten. But you know, again, that middle. This is your year in both the SEC and the Big Ten to take advantage of where you are because it becomes that much more difficult the next year. Other games tonight, we mentioned a couple of them. Uh, UCF, their maiden voyage in the Big 12. One of the more fascinating conference arcs for UCF, I, I was not old enough to process this very well when it was still true. We can't forget that the original no sense geography was that UCF used to be in the MAC. No, uh, objectively zero sense there. One of my favorite parts I, of the Five. I was about to make that a fun fact, but uh-huh. you stole it. So. <laughs> uh, well, I was aware of that fact as well. Uh, so them moving from MAC, obviously getting into Conference USA, then into the American, and now finally into a power league in the Big Twelve. They got Kent State tonight. Uh, so expect UCF to put up some points there and win that one pretty decidedly. I'm really excited to watch UAB tonight. Uh, first game for Trent Dilfer, I'll admit. I have zero clue how that's going to go. I think the name brings a little bit more notoriety to the program. I think it has uh, the Blazers with access to a little bit higher caliber of recruit that they typically have access to, but new league. It's a little bit better league than what they left because they got all the good teams from that league, plus a few holdovers like Memphis and Tulane uh, in the AAC. So I'm interested to see UAB season this year. Um, we saw Jacksonville State have a success last weekend. Uh, I think Troy will be pretty good this year. I don't. Is South supposed to be any good this year? I don't, South was. Um, yeah, there. I mean. I think uh, it's you know you're uh, you're returning a quarterback you're returning a uh, Webb the running back from right here in Beauregard yeah um, he and I will tell you what we were talking last night at the coaches show off the air and uh, there's some South Alabama coaches down there that are are really excited that if uh, if he plays well this year he he could be ticketed for the draft uh, and so it, it's it's going to be fun yeah it, but um, uh, just looking looking around it's it's some different. Uh, different stuff south alabama is projected to win the west okay and so that so they will, will be should a, be good should be good uh go up there with uh with app state and and you know maybe meet up with app state or, or marshall in the in the sunbelt championship but yeah uh carter bradley the quarterback returning this year voted uh second team preseason all uh, sunbelt um and they've got they've got some good guys like i said ladamian webb the running back is uh poised to have a really big year down there it, it's uh kane womack uh, is just done a great job with in his easy years here, or his just a couple years at South Alabama, and uh, it, he, they're poised to have another big year this year. Hopefully, uh, I, I don't think it's going to land on the level of like a two lane where they're punching toward no. a, a group of five spot in that that New Year Six bowls. But you can see them uh, get up there and get some big wins this year. They play two lane actually to open up the season this weekend. Int- okay, there you and, go. Yeah, and they're, uh, they're they're sporting some fun helmets because you know two lanes go into uh two they're going to Tulane in Louisiana and there's been there's a long time rivalry I would say between the city of Mobile and the city of New Orleans about who invented Mardi Gras and it says uh, South Alabama's helmets uh, this week says home of Mardi Gras on the back of their helmets oh. so they're going and talking some wow. smack already yeah that's a little bold 
It's yeah, a little bold. Yeah, that is really. But like you were saying, Coach uh, Womack, I think it's really interesting. If he has another great year like this, and if Indiana's really bad, I know I'm jumping out of nowhere. If Indiana's really bad, like a lot of people expect, he was the defensive coordinator in 2020 whenever they were really good, and that was like the first time in like three million years that Indiana was worth anything. So I think it could be really interesting. I know neither of them have played a game yet, but if that that could be a fun uh, coaching some carousel match. That, that up could there. be some carousel right there. It wouldn't surprise me if he was on uh, one of their uh, coaches list. Uh, to be interviewed so yeah so south should have a pretty good year i guess it was i flipped them troy's the one that's kind of a little more iffy yeah um, but south should be pretty good and then like i said uab they were in conference because they had loved their chances even with the new head coach and trent dilfer but uh being the aac you got the aforementioned tulane uh, like i said i'm really excited for uab to play memphis again the battle for the bones that rack of ribs trophy, just awesome elite trophy, absolutely awesome. Even though it's such a small rivalry in the scheme of college football, that's why we do this. We got the big rivalry, sure, but the little ones they're fun too. And uh, that always, I care. I growing up in Birmingham, I cared about that game. Call me weird, I don't care. I cared a lot, and so uh, I'm excited to have that battle for the bones back. I don't know if they're going to do the trophy anymore or not, but they should. You got to. Uh, they Who's should. Got it. Yeah. Uh, who won the last? I don't one? know who won the last one. It was, it, was, it was, I mean, gosh, it's been a decade or so since they were in the league. That means it's been sitting in somebody's facility for a decade. Though. Yeah, I mean, it, Memphis usually won it, but it was great because Memphis and UAB at that time were two of the lower three or four programs in yeah. conference. You say so, both teams felt like they could win that game. Obviously, Memphis advanced quicker than UAB, but now last six or seven years for UAB under Bill Clark have been uh, much different. So we'll see how the Trent Dilfer era goes in Birmingham. We're going to take our final timeout of the show today back to wrap things up right after this. please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 now back to auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show sports call Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here. Final couple minutes of the show. Again, want to remind you that that Florida and Utah game coming up tonight, that will be, of course, watchable on ESPN, but it will also be listenable on our Tiger Communications family of stations, and that mainly FM Talk 93.9. 6.30 is the airtime for pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff. So if you're looking for Florida and Utah, you can catch it on FM Talk 93.9 tonight. Again, proud to partner with Compass Media and with Touchdown Radio for some best games of college football throughout this season. Final couple minutes of the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. 
Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Well, I'll start you off with a movie pick tonight. Just one, though, because there's a lot of football on tonight that you should be wanting to watch. 6 o'clock on BBC America. It's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, if you want to uh, check that out. That's the newer one, I believe, with Johnny Depp in it. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the old one. So, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 6 o'clock, BBC America. Sports picks for you tonight. We'll start you off in the college football world, because where else will we start you off? Gosh, it's a plethora of stuff. ACC Network, 6 o'clock. Elon takes on Wake Forest. We mentioned Kent State and UCF at 6 o'clock on FS1. A couple games on ESPN Plus at 6. Rhode Island visits Georgia State. St. Francis visits Western Michigan. Uh, then at 6.30, NC State takes on UConn and CBS Sports Network. Later on in the evening, 7 o'clock, Florida and Utah. Also, Nebraska, Minnesota. And then later on the, tonight, 7 o'clock, ESPN Plus. We talked about it. NCANT visits UAB. And the nightcap, if you have the Pac-12 Network, Southern Utah visits it's Arizona State. A couple more games sprinkled in there that you can find on the uh, on your television as well. U.S. Open tennis continues tonight. Day four, second round matches continue. Six o'clock, ESPN two. Later tonight on ESPN U at seven o'clock, we got some college volleyball. Wisconsin takes on Arkansas. And then, of course, here in our area, 6.30 on the SEC Network Plus, Wake Forest and Auburn do battle in some women's soccer action over at the Auburn Soccer Complex. And then, of course, tonight, it's the big weekend for the Braves Baseball Club up out in L.A., 9-10 first pitch, so a late night uh, this uh, tonight on Valley Sports Southeast. The Braves and the Dodgers, and it's a good one tonight. Max Fried on the mound versus Julio Urias. So this could be a, one of the better pitching matchups that we see uh, tonight or in this series on Valley Sports Southeast. And that is an Rightly TV Guide brought to our friends at White Claw Heart Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and uh, thank you for being on the show today. We'll see you again tomorrow. I'll be there. TP, thank you for being on the show today. Hope you have a great weekend, sir, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, and War Eagle, and go Bucks. <laughs> and that will do it for the show today. Again, we appreciate all those that tune in and called in, and we appreciate Zach Blackerby for joining us on the show today as well. For TP Hammock and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Enjoy the college football tonight, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.